I should probably turn the mic on. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And yes, I know I'm not in my usual studio. Where am I? Well, if you've been following us on our social media, we are live here in Denver. Live here in Denver, Colorado here today for as the wife and I are on vacation for a few days. I know you guys were expecting Alex to be here. Unfortunately, Alex got called in to a meeting, excuse me. And unfortunately, was not going to be able to join us here this evening. I know he's pretty bummed because we had a good group chat going with everybody. But nonetheless, I'm here going to give you all your great action. This was supposed to be our round two preview, but then the NHL says, screw the Kula show. We're going to start the playoffs now. And then now we have to kind of catch up with that. But don't worry, we'll have some help along the way. And of course, I make sure I got my notes here because unfortunately... I can't have the web browser up with all the notes because, as you can tell, yes, the screen looks a little different. How does that How does that happen, Tyler? Well, let me tell you guys. We are going to actually have a – these are video calls we're going to be doing today. We're going to have Harrison Watt from Ferris State, of course, now a member of the Seven Timers Club. He'll join us in the latter half of the show talking about the Western Conference. You'll get to see his pretty face as well in just about a half an hour time. Thomas Biondo, Davenport's play-by-play, and one of my colleagues – he will be here as well. The two seven-timers. Well, they will be seven-timers when they actually get on the show. It'll be great to have them on as always. Of course, if you always want to get involved with today's episode, make sure you use the hashtag TKS at The Kuehl Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Tell us where you're listening from, where you're watching from. It may be a little bit to get the replays up because got some stuff going on later on today after this show. It's 4 o'clock right now, mountain time here in Denver, so it's a little bit early for us, hence why it's so bright outside, as you can tell, as we had to keep the shade shut or else you'd see a blinding light going into your face. And it's not just a blinding light like this beautiful face before you now. Of course, thank you all for watching here on 12 Ounce Sports, whether you're watching us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and even Zingo TV, channel 761. Sign up using the promo code 12 Ounce Sports. And of course, thank you once again to our sponsors for today's show, mybookie.ag, which is on this side of me now, I have to remember, because... I'm now like looking at a mirror view, mybookie.ag, with all the sports going on. Make sure you go on there. Use the promo code 12OUNCESPORTS to sign up for free, win and get paid using mybookie. And, of course, Second String Leather Company up there. They got wearing their swag here today, representing here in Denver. This is part of their original apparel line. Check out their new apparel line as well. You saw Alex and I wear some of the shirts just a couple weeks ago. And a big deal going on in their... For their collection five, while it's still going at 50% off at this time. We got a lot to get to today before we even start to bring on our guests as we're not just talking about the Eastern and Western Conference playoffs, breaking down the series and talking about the respective game ones. And of course, with Thomas, we'll make sure we'll preview for you game one between Philadelphia and the Islanders, which is set to start at 7 o'clock Eastern time, 5 o'clock out here in Denver. I got to make sure I use both time zones here because I'm looking at my thing. I'm like, oh, it's four o'clock in the afternoon right now. It's very early. Nope. It's about normal time. We start our show every Monday night here on 12 Ounce Sports. But if you can't watch today's episode live in full, make sure you tune in tomorrow. Hopefully I'll be able to get it up. But the replay on our own YouTube channel, The Kuehl Show, as well as on your favorite podcatcher, Spotify, Google, Apple, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, wherever you catch your favorite podcast, we'll be there with the audio version of the episode. I have to do a little bit of trickery with that because unfortunately I can't record both the video chat, the audio from that, and the audio from myself or else it gets all kind of cluttered and you have to do a lot of editing and all sorts of hunky-dory stuff. So 
With that, maybe a little bit for the replay, but that's why we're going to give it to you live here on 12 Out Sports. On today's program, there is a coaching change in Washington. Well, not a coaching change, more like a coach opening in Washington and in the United States nation's capital, as well as a certain member of that Washington Capitals team making headlines for a good reason, for a video game reason. Big news coming out of there, along with our round two preview. We'll also talk about Mark andre Fleury's agent, Alan Walsh. We'll get to that after we have Thomas Biondo on later on in today's show. But let's get started off on talking about Todd Reardon. The Washington Capitals earlier this week fired, or excuse me, this weekend, excuse me, fired Todd Reardon as the head coach. And let me tell you guys, this is something that I don't think, I'm not saying we didn't see coming, but with winning a Stanley Cup, the Washington Capitals now have expectations. And with two first-round exits, listen, this is not the, the early years of the Barry Trotts. This is not the Bruce Boudreaux era. First-round exits now for Washington are no longer acceptable, not just making the playoffs. This team wants to make deep runs, and realistically, they can. However, I don't know if this team can actually do it because the team's getting older. I still think the Stanley Cup hangover because they partied so hard after that 2018 Cup win. I think it's starting to wear on them. These multiple playoff runs, these deep playoff runs they've been doing over the past couple of years, and now obviously two first-round exits, it's starting to actually get a little bit tougher Ovechkin and his crew. And of course, let's not just ignore the fact that Nicholas Backstrom was missing from most of that series against the Islanders in round one because he got hurt in game one. I would like to think that they would have played a little bit better had he been in the lineup. Now that said, I don't know if Brayden Holpe is the guy anymore. Despite Washington winning the Metro Division the past two seasons, they don't look nearly as good past three. I mean, they've won the Metro, I think, what's it, four years in a row now. They don't look nearly as strong as they have had in the past. So with that, I'm not sure if you can say Washington, it's Reardon's fault. I just think Barry Trott's methods really helped this team learn how to win and learn how to win in the playoffs. Todd Reardon was just trying to say, all right, guys, let's try to do that, but let's just continue to try to do that. Because here's the thing, folks. Parity is such a big thing in the NHL nowadays. We saw it last year with Carolina winning that round against Washington. This year, the Islanders knocking out the Capitals. But then again, Barry Trotz was their coach. who so was like, hey, I know exactly what these guys are going to try to do. And Brayden Holpe's weaknesses are this. I've coached them for years. I want a cup with this team. I know how to beat them. But I don't know if Washington should be an expected favorite now to win the cup. I don't know who they're going to bring in, but... I think the window is closed on the Washington Capitals. I don't know if you can look at this team and say, hey, this team's going to make a run next season. With what? Who are they going to add? Who are they going to be able to add? They're going to be, I don't think there's any contract issues going on. Unfortunately, I don't have cap friendly up on me because once again, I'm here on Google Meet, which makes it a little bit difficult. Unless you guys want to see what I'm looking through on, on Google, that make it, then you get a little bit of a behind the scenes look, but we'll just bypass that maybe for another show, maybe for the off season. But Holpe is getting old. Samsonov is looking like a guy that could take his spot. But I don't think Holpe is the Vesna caliber goaltender anymore. He's not the goaltender that just took over in that 2018 playoffs, despite not even starting. People tend to forget. Is Washington no longer a dominant team? Is it that despite winning the Metro Division, which I believe it's funny because everyone's like, well, all these Metro teams make the playoffs every year. Well, yes, you're right. However, look how weak they are. Look how 
Washington just got trounced by the Islanders. I know parity's kind of tight, and you got the Flyers looking like a team that could be a formidable foe as these playoffs wear on. We'll get to that later when we talk with Thomas. But I don't think that this team is ready to make another run. I don't think they're equipped to do so. So that's why a change is necessary. Now, there's been speculation on who the Capitals may go with. All signs are pointing towards a first-year coach, simply because of the fact you look at Ovechkin's time here. Bruce Boudreaux got his first job. Adam Oates was a first-time coach. Dale Hunter was a first-time coach. And now you had Todd Reardon as a first-time coach. The only coach in Ovechkin's time as a Washington Capital that was hired on as a, I guess, a veteran, if you will, or someone who had a job before as a head coach in the NHL was Barry Trotz, having his long term with the Nashville Predators. I don't know if this team, hi, Dad, how are you doing? I don't know if this team is going to look to go with a veteran because what's the point? You're going to bring in a veteran coach. I mean, there are options out there. Don't get me wrong. And there will be after the season, let's be honest. Why would you not want to bring in a first-year coach? Say, all right, here, let's, we're going to try to bring in new systems. I'll try to get this team back on track. Give them a few years. And if it doesn't work, well, then away you go. We all remember how the Adam Oates experience went. Adam Oates, great skills coach, not necessarily the best at working with systems. So what they do this offseason will be interesting. I'm intrigued. But I don't know with the team that they have and the age starting to wear in and the year starting going on and on, I don't think Alex Ovechkin may win another Stanley Cup. However, he may not have won the Stanley Cup. He may not win the Stanley Cup twice, but he will be given the honorable distinction as becoming only the second player in the history of the EA Sports NHL franchise to have graced the cover of the EA Sports NHL video game. As just last, it was last night or early this morning, they announced that Alex Ovechkin will be the cover athlete for NHL 21. And I'm okay with it. I mean, they didn't really do much of a vote this year, but that's fine. I, I, I'm okay with him being the guy just because, you know, it's Ovechkin and he's still one of the most prolific scores in the game. He, the only other player to actually have been graced with the cover twice was actually Jonathan Taves. And if you guys remember the story of how that was supposed to all happen, remember, Jonathan Taves was NHL 11, Patrick Kane was 2010, NHL 10, excuse me. Then they were going to be both on the cover of NHL 16 after the Hawks won their third cup in five years, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, the dynasty, it was the closest thing we've had to a modern-day dynasty. That's supposed to be Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. The promo's already up. They're both holding the cup together, and Patrick Kane gets slapped with um, some sexual abuse allegations or sexual assault allegations, and that kind of put everything down. Obviously, they were bypassed and whatnot, but Jonathan Taves was the only one to grace the cover of Angel 16. So Alex Ovechkin and Jonathan Taves, both members of the top 100 NHL club, both gracing the cover. The only, And it's still funny. To look back on, Mario Lemieux was NHL 2002. He also had his own video game. Wayne Gretzky was the only, is the only player that was brutally omitted from ever being on the cover of NHL. Now, don't forget, at that time, in the late 90s when he was starting his career, starting to wind down, he was, or in the mid-90s, excuse me, when he saw his peak, they were putting out the Wayne Gretzky 3D hockey game. So maybe Wayne Gretzky kind of had a deal where he couldn't be on the EA Sports video games. But... I always found that just a little interesting because of the fact that the greatest statistical player of all time, greatest statistical player of all time, never graced the cover of the greatest hockey game ever made. It's just kind of funny to me. I think the only player I'm trying to think of off the top of my head, obviously Mario Lemieux had his own video game, so he graced two different video game covers. Off the top of my head, with no research done whatsoever, because I just remembered this, 
the only player to have ever graced the cover other than Jonathan Taves, Patrick, not Patrick King, Alex Ovechkin, and Mario Lemieux to ever grace multi-time, at least in hockey, covers of a video game. The only other one, ready for this, guys? Chris Pronger. Now, all of you, some of you remember NHL 2000, if you're a little bit of the older generation. If you're someone from my generation, you remember him as the cover of NHL Hits 2003. So a little bit. Actually, no. Oh, my gosh. I just remembered. Scott Stevens. Scott Stevens also did it because he was on the cover, along with Steve Eiserman, on NHL 96. 96? Yep, 96. It was after the Devils won the Cup. And Scott Stevens graced the cover of NHL Hits 2002, the first NHL Hits game. So a little bit of trivia for you guys here that's literally just coming out of my brain at this point because I just pounded back a cup of coffee and half a pot of coffee. Well, there's still a little bit left in there right before the show. So now my brain's actually starting to work after a long day, which actually was not really a long day today. Yesterday was a long day. We got up, we hung out a little bit, then let's say, hey, let's go to Essie's Park here in Denver. And like we go to Essie's Park, I'm like, let's go drive around Rocky Mountain National because we already had a pass already set up. And instead of driving around, we decided to get over there near Bear Lake and we're going to hike Hiked three miles there, three miles back. I think we climbed just about, oh, we got up to about 9,600 feet in elevation. Felt fine. The water was cool. Chipmunks were everywhere. Apparently, people don't abide by the rule. You don't feed the wildlife because chipmunks were very friendly. Some of us, if you follow me on Instagram or on Facebook at TJKU29 on Instagram, you saw some of the photos on how close chipmunks got to us. Heck, they were dang near cuddling with Kelly. Good gosh. But... Regardless, moving on from the Ovechkin cover, just some simple round one reaction here. Before we bring on Thomas here in about 15 minutes here on the Kula Show on 12-Ounce Sports, the two biggest points, unfortunately, I know we always talk about the Eastern bias. I'm looking at the West for a couple of the biggest, I guess, stories coming out of round one by teams that have lost. Number one, Calgary. We'll talk about Dallas later when we talk with Harrison Watt. But I have never seen a team. I was ready for a Game 7. The way Calgary started out in Game 6 against Dallas, three goals in the first period, no Matthew Kachuk either. I'm like, all right, this team's going to rally. They're going to get back into it. And the second period just exploded. I don't remember exactly who all scored for Dallas off the top of my head. But I have never seen a team collapse so badly in the middle of a game. Yes, a Leafs fan. Talk about a collapse. I've never seen a team allow seven goals in a row. Seven goals in a row. They end up losing the game, I think, 7-4 to lose the series in six games to the Dallas Stars. Just to watch, and Matthew Kachuk has become a famous gift now, or infamous, depending on which side of the puck you're on. But I've never seen a guy, never seen a team just absolutely just forget what they were doing. I want, I wanted Calgary to win, I'll be honest with you, because I think that team is ready to make a push a deep playoff push, but I know they lost Kachuk and that really did a number on this team in the series. It looked like the Flames had all the momentum. They were going to go up 3-1. Kachuk gets hurt, but it's okay. They have a lead. Pavelski scores. And next thing you know, the rest of the series was all Dallas, despite that first 20 minutes, I think the first like 18 minutes of game six. And as a Flames fan, if you are a Flames fan, how can you not be angry that this team had such a great opportunity to at least force a game seven where anything's possible but instead, just squander it. And I, I don't know who you who do you blame? Cam Talbot? Yeah, he allowed a couple of squeakers. But it just seems like the Flames just deflated after a couple of goals. They just forgot what they were doing. Dave, big save Dave comes in and he allows a couple of muffins. That's because he hasn't played all playoff. He hasn't, he hasn't played in the qualifying round. Didn't play at all until the last 
40, I think 30 some odd minutes of game six. How do you expect the guy to come back after not playing for, oh gosh, I'm going to March and all of a sudden expect him to come back in and play a big role to try to keep your team in a hockey game? I mean, I don't know if you can blame the coach. I mean, Jeff Ward at all. I don't know what he could have done differently. Maybe have called a timeout after the third goal, I guess. But the way Dallas was able to rally, I mean, as if, if you look at it from the Dallas side, it's like the Dallas Stars came back. But if you're on the Calgary side, you look and you see, wow, that was horrendous. Dallas won the game, if you're looking at it as a Stars fan. Calgary lost the game, if you are everyone else. I don't think I've ever seen a team just completely give up on a game like that for that long of a game, for that long of time span. I've, I Listen, yes, I'm a Leafs fan. 2013, over six minutes of action. The Leafs just, and James Reimer just forgot what they were doing and ended up losing in overtime. Game seven in 2018, Leafs are up by one going into the third period and just, just give it up there. Four goals in the third period, call it a day. For two periods, the Calgary Flames just they wanted to go home. They wanted to drive back down south, to back down to Calgary. They wanted to be done with this. They didn't care. They played a good first period, and then they just left it to be. I don't understand how a team just can give up like that. I mean, is it because one guy's out of your lineup? I know he makes a difference on the ice, but you want to rally around that and say, hey, let's get back in so if we can come back and he can come back, we can make a deep playoff run beyond round one. But something's got to change here. I mean, there's a lot of people saying that interim tag is going to stay on Jeff Ward and he may not be coming back next year with Calgary. I mean, the team did kind of bounce back after the firing of Bill Peters, and I don't know if Jeff Ward's the guy, though, because a solid NHL coach would have been able to get that team back on track after a couple of goals in that second period. What's going to happen in the future? I mean, the same thing with Washington. Who knows what they're going to do? If I'm Brad Trilliby and I'm really looking over my options, like, all right, who's going to be available in the offseason? Who's going to get canned? Who is canned? Who is who's available right now? Who can we bring on board to be the next coach of the Calgary Flames? Because that right there, game six, is unacceptable. I don't know if – I don't even know if Barry Trotz could have gotten a team to come back. I don't know if the best coaches in the game could have gotten a team to come back from nothing to come back after giving up three goals and try to settle things down to win the game. I don't know if they could have. Obviously, the team on the ice needs to perform. But to have some guy behind the bench to calm everyone down, an experienced coach to calm everyone down, to simply move forward from here, that's going to be something that the Calgary Flames are going to have to find. Because I don't know if Jeff Ward's the guy. The second take from round one, staying out west, a little bit closer to the eastern time zone in the central, the St. Louis Blues. The defending Stanley Cup champions go down with a whimper. They made it a series, no question about it, against Vancouver. Vancouver goes up 2-0. Everything's looking good. The Canucks are like, oh, my gosh, it's 2011 all over again. We're going to do this. But next thing you know, the Blues show their experience. Ryan O'Reilly decides to become consummate trophy winner. Ryan O'Reilly was able to lead the team back to a 2-2 series tie. I'm like, okay, here we go. But then all of a sudden, things get a little uneasy. Vancouver wins game five, and then they go into game six, and boy, boy, did St. Louis just want to go home. I mean, I, I don't know what you want to say, if it's Jake Allen. Or, I mean, I, the team just got pummeled in game six, more so than Calgary losing to Dallas because Calgary just gave up in, after having the lead once they realized Dallas was going to come back. 
Vancouver controlled that hockey game in game six from start to finish. There was no chance for the Blues to really come back in the game. But the big question is moving forward now. Yes, the Blues, they won their cup. And the Stanley Cup Twitter account was kind enough to tweet out the thing, we'll miss you, Layla. And I'm just like, no, you man, making me cry. For those that don't remember, Layla Anderson's story, one of the, the cancer survivor who was able to be with the team and be one of their real, not just a huge fan, but one of their inspirations going into the playoffs and led pretty much was a big part of the team winning the Stanley Cup last year. And there was the beautiful photos, the celebrations and all that. And then she was able to open up the NHL season by introducing the St. Louis Blues with her just magnificent ah, her passion for the team. So that was rough. But now for the Blues moving forward, I posted this on Twitter, which is a bigger one-hit wonder. Dexy's Midnight Runners, which I, I guess no one knew who the band was because no one voted for them. Dexy Midnight Runners is Come On Eileen, you know. Come on, Eileen, you know. Come on, Eileen. Okay, that song. That annoying song that you hear at every single wedding, it seems like nowadays. Young MC for Bust a Move. There was a couple votes for that, so I'm glad some people knew who Young MC was. And then, of course, the one that finished second was Flock of Seagulls, because I ran so far away, and apparently everyone knows who Flock of Seagulls are. Now, who they finished second to? Jordan Bennington, because Jordan Bennington is, I would say, the biggest one-hit wonder of the decade. Yeah, I said it. I'm sorry. I Listen, a guy that goes from... Borderline Consmite Trophy winner, could have been a Calder Trophy winner, to awful number. I think his goals against average was like 2-7, 2.70 in the playoffs. I don't think I've ever seen a goaltender just plummet to the point of no return after having such a meteoric rise. You know, I talk about Braden Holpe not putting up the same numbers they did in the cup year, but at least Braden Holpe was a Vesna caliber goaltender before then. Bennington comes out of nowhere, has a great season, wins the cup, was voted, I think, the Bridge was the Bridgestone fan choice MVP of the playoffs or whatever the heck it was. The fans loved him. I loved him. Like, all right, this guy, he's finally getting his due. And now he just, I'm not saying stinks, but his numbers weren't all that good. He got overtaken by Jake Allen. Now, will he have a bounce? Is this the sophomore slump that I kind of talked about before this season even started back in September? Possibly. Will he come back stronger in year three? Boy, the Blues hope so. You know, Alex Petrangelo is a guy that they're going to be possibly losing a free agency. So you're going to have a different looking team. And if your goaltending's not there, you're all of a sudden going back from cup contender, division winner, best regular season team in the Western Conference to, oh my gosh, can we make a wild card spot? That's how far this team could fall if the goaltending's not there, if the leadership's not there. And if the team can't perform, Craig Berube, I, I think he's still the guy, the coach at St. Louis. I don't think there's any reason why you should not give him another shot. But how is this team going to look? How is the core going to look? Petrangelo, he's going to be gone. I'm sorry. Unless he's going to take a massive pay cut to stay in St. Louis with the flat cap coming out next year, I don't think he's going to be a blue. Now, I don't think he's going to get the same amount of money if the salary cap were to go up because I think his stock is around the 8 to $9 million range. But I don't know if he's going to get that. Once again, flat cap will be the issue. Offseason is going to be very fun, guys. Let me tell you, it's going to be great for us here on the Kula Show. I wonder who's going to be the leader. Ryan O'Reilly, obviously, is the first guy you can point to. After that, yeah, you have veterans like David Perron, but is that your lock? Is that your guy that you want in the locker room? Is that the guy that's going to lead this team forward? I don't think so. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly is for sure going to be the captain. I don't think there's any question about it. But this team may struggle next year. It may just be so. 
So I, I'm I'm curious. The off season is just going to be wild because it's going to be a shorter time span than we're used to. We're going to go from playoffs ending in September around that time, early October, if that. Because I think the was it October the fourth, October fourth or fifth. The first week of October is the latest the cup can be awarded. Then they're going to have the draft right after that. So as far as we know, Alexi Lafreniere will be drafted by the Rangers, possibly. No one said anything yet, but all signs are pointing towards it. And then we have October, most of October at least. November, December, and then, bam, back in January. Now, obviously, that's all considering that everything works back out because there's a lot of talk now about the coronavirus and whether or not we're able to play next year. I don't know. There's a lot of whispers. A lot of talk, not a lot of walk. Obviously, we got to get to that point first. We got to finish up these playoffs or even think about next season. Regardless, there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. I don't know if Todd Reardon, or excuse me, I don't know who Washington's going to replace Todd Reardon with. I don't know if Calgary will bring back Jeff Ward, if they'll look for someone new. I don't know if you can look at the core in St. Louis and say, this team can lead us forward. Well, they need to add somebody. Can they add somebody? The salary cap is going to make everything really interesting. But I know we also talked about how I was going to mention Marc-Andre Fleury. Like I said, we'll talk about that when we talk to Thomas later on in the show today, as we'll talk to him here in just a few minutes before we go to break. Oh, man. It's getting warm. It is warm out here. Here's the one thing I'll say about the Rockies before we go to break, folks. Down here in Denver, it is about 97 degrees Fahrenheit in downtown Denver. Kelly and I were walking the streets today before we came back into the show, and it was just hot. I wouldn't say as bad as Michigan, 97 degrees, though. A lot more humidity out east. Not as bad out here, but the sun still is a lot. We went up to the mountains. It was 100 degrees when we were driving in. We went to the mountains. And we get up there and we're like, step out of the car. We're like, this is not too bad. It was about 15 to 20 degrees cooler up in the mountains. So whenever I always say, I'm like, hey, elevation's great. Elevation's nice. It is very nice. I didn't feel like I was going to die. Now we're going to be going hiking at 6 a.m. mountain time tomorrow. So maybe a little rough, but at least it'll be nice and cool. Won't be uncomfortable. Now when we get to probably lunchtime, when the sun will be at its peak, it may get a little warm. We still we still did sweat while we were hiking yesterday, but it was not going to be as bad as walking around because I think we walked around for maybe a couple hours downtown today, and that was worse than hiking for four hours at up in the Rocky Mountains. So just to let you guys know how it is out here out west, hopefully everyone back home in Michigan is doing well, wherever you're listening from or watching from, whether you're in the south, the east, the west, the north, all the way over in Europe, all the way well, Europe is also west if you go really far enough. If you're wherever you're listening to us from, apparently we're getting a lot of listens from our, from, from, some, from our friends in Spain. Apparently Spain has got a big listenership according to our stats, but well, we always appreciate you guys listening, watching. We're going to take a quick break, folks. When we come back, we'll have Thomas Biondo on to talk about the Eastern Conference semis. A couple of them already started. We'll talk about the game ones and what to expect moving forward with these series and who makes it to the final four of the Stanley Cup playoffs. That is all coming up next here on The Keel Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. We'll be back right after this. All right. Take 12. Here. Oh, Holy cow. All right. You peeked out there. What's it? Let's see. Let's check our friends here. Let's see. Because I, I can hear you, Thomas. I can see. Because go ahead and talk there, Thomas. All right. Well, well, let's see here. Let's let's quick little recap again of what I've already said. 
was impressed by the Jackets and the Canadians and what they did. But uh, at the end of the day, good, bright futures for the better team won. I was uh, disappointed by how little the cap showed. And uh, who am I forgetting? It worked. That's hey, we got it. All right, all right, all right. Well, I, I tried to fix up some stuff. Oh, live television. I mean, it's not television, but li- well, if you're watching on Zingo TV, you could be watching on your television, but live Absolutely. stuff. All right. Well, okay. So Thomas Biondo, seven timers club. If you, there we go. Thomas Biondo, seven timers club. I got to get it right on the screen here. But Thomas was mentioning about how that the injury to Sveshnikov affected the Hurricanes and how that Boston just getting stronger. We'll get to Boston here in just a few minutes, Thomas. But I mean, as soon as you see the injury for Sveshnikov go, it just seemed like instantly, just the way he was playing in these playoffs, that is what did Carolina in against Boston. Yeah, it felt like they just lost their their depth, and it, which is surprising considering how good they they were. I, the whole thing's surprising. I mean, it just seemed like what they scored two goals. I think the after they didn't score the rest of that game. I think I think the goals were already scored, and it just it just seemed to be like a gut punch. And you know, it's not necessarily something that that gut punch isn't necessarily an instantaneous thing, but you get that initial hurt, and then you try to to catch your breath. And it just seemed like they never really caught their breath. If that makes any sense going on in the rest of that series. And, and Boston, Boston does kind of what Boston does. And they found their stride and just started taking control of the series. I mean, Carolina came back got the two, nothing lead, but the way they fell apart the game after it was just, just a really kind of shocking, kind of shocking stretch of hockey there. And I mean, that's what the playoffs are. And we knew that that's how these playoffs were going to work just because it's so very odd. So let's get into these series. We're going to start off with Philadelphia and the Islanders, just because of the fact they'll be starting up here in, I believe, 19 minutes now. As I look, I have to do the math in my head. It's 5 o'clock puck drop here in Denver, back 7 o'clock back home in Michigan. This has been, now, we talked about the Islanders, how they just were able to handle the caps. Obviously, Backstrom being out, I kind of touched on that with Todd Rudin being fired off the top of the show, but... This is a Islanders team with Barry Trotz coaching and Semyon Varlamov, who I don't think any of us really saw as a possible threat to really move forward as a number one goaltender after the way his career, his time ended in Colorado. This Islanders team looks dangerous just because of how defensively sound they are and the fact that they're getting timely scoring in these playoffs. Yeah, you know, what Barry Trotz has brought over, it's all style to me. Like he is getting what he wants, early leads, the structurally sound, strong net minding on the back end, you know, and, and as you said, really balanced scoring. You know, I think Matt Barzell might be one of the, the most underrated players in, in the NHL. I think if he's somebody where if he's playing in an open, a wide open system, he's going to be probably a 75, 85 point getter somewhere in there. But he's bought in. The team's bought in. That fourth line just wreaks havoc. That that checking line, that Martin line with with Sezikis, they're good. Uh, Bavillier has brought something that nobody, I don't know if anybody expected. And, and as you said, Villarmo's been so good in the back end. They're doing it. Ultimate team, four lines, three defensive pair, good depth. The guys that aren't in the lineup and that, that are filling in. Leo Komarov, remember, didn't start the playoff. He steps in. He fits right in. Um, you know, they lose uh, uh, Boychuk, in steps Andy Green. I, I mean, they are just showing what depth, good goaltending, balance attack. Right now, they're checking all the boxes. 
And it's it's crazy because I talked about how the Metro division with Washington continue to winning. It looks weaker, but then you see the Islanders come on and just defensively, except for I'd say maybe game was a game four when Washington, when Ovechkin actually scored two goals in the game. Yeah. Look defensively like this this juggernaut. And that's Barry Trotz's mindset. Yeah. That's how it's always been. He built that up in Nashville, was able to carry that and kind of at least calm down and figure out the defense in Washington, helping lead the team to a Stanley Cup. Now he's doing it with the Islanders with a veteran defensive core. And a lot of guys, I mean, let's be honest. If you were not an Islanders fan, who knew of Ryan Pollock and Adam Pellick before? Yep. I mean, you would have just said, you know, if you were calling the game, like, all right, Pollock or Pellick, who cares? One of them's on the ice. No one knows who they are. Well, you're absolutely right. And everyone knows who these guys are now because, you know, in the playoffs where you see depth guys come out and play big minutes. Now, Pollock obviously being a member of the power play. But that fourth line, like you said, it's just so tough. Whether Clutterbuck's in the lineup, whether it's Komarov in the lineup with his weird-looking Tommy Sidorstrom cage that he wears. I mean, he this it's effective. And it wears teams down because, yes, if you look at it on paper, did the Capitals' offense look better than the Islanders? 100%. Were they able to convert more than the Islanders? Sure. But you look at defensively, the Islanders were able to shut them down. Now yeah. they go up against Philadelphia, a Flyers team that – I think they scored, with the exception of game five or game six, they scored, I think they won three games by scoring only five goals. I think they scored three goals in that last game. No, there's two was goals. A, no, so, you're right, because game one was 2-1, and then there was a, a 2 nothing and a one nothing. So three wins and five, with five goals. And then I think they scored, was it two? I forget off the top of my head. It was two goals for the clinching win. So it's seven or seven or eight goals and four wins. I mean, it's all adding up right now. I picked the Flyers in this series just because I think Carter Hart's just feeling really good in net. But let's look at the offensive matchup, the offense of Philadelphia against the defensive Islanders. It looks like a David versus Goliath story right now, just because the Flyers inability to cash in offensively. Yeah. Which it's funny too, because you you say it's David versus Goliath and you're talking the Goliath being the Islanders defense, where if we were having this conversation, uh, let's say two weeks ago, and we were projecting matchups, we would have been talking about the David or the Goliath being that flyer offense with all the different ways they can score. So it's just really funny how things have, have worked out. You know, I've got the the game on here in the pregame show, and they were showing how, you know, their big five scorers of, you know, Voracek and, and Couturier and Giroux and Konechny, and I actually, it wasn't Voracek because he had, I think, two goals in the last game, but they just don't have scoring going on right now from the big guns you know and it was scott lawton i think that led the team in scoring after the the round robin and and what really what the flyers need it's just surprising that here they are here they come when the big guns haven't scored and that's really i still think it's going to be the key i think that if they need the guys that are expected to do it to do it to turn it around and get it going if they hope to beat the islanders and, I mean, it's it's funny because Voracek, I believe, I think I totaled up right. He had seven points in the series. So there was some scrum by the top lines. But I think it, it's similar to Boston. We'll get, Like I said, we'll get to them here in just a little bit. But Boston, the the top guns were starting to click a little bit, but they are not. They were not the dominant force. And they're yeah. going to have to really step up. If they don't, though, they are going to have to rely on playoff rookie goaltender Carter Hart, who is just magnificent. In round one, some people say he didn't have uh, the biggest workload against Montreal, but in, it doesn't matter if you have the biggest workload. It's consistency that matters. And I talk to, always talk about Marty Berdur. Had the great defense in front of him, faced maybe 17, 18 shots a game, like Kenny Dryden numbers almost, but he was able to be consistent. Carter Hart's feeling good. He's looking good. He just beat his boyhood idol. You know he's got to be feeling good for sure. 
how important will his performance be against this balanced attack of coming from the Islanders? I think it's, it's, it's the deciding factor. I, I mean, it's, it, it, if, especially if the Flyers' big guns don't get going, then it is 100% going to fall on Carter Hart. And, you know, it's, it's weird. You know, you mentioned the three, the three wins with five, with five total goals, and, and it's just so weird for me to get in the mindset of the Flyers winning defensive hockey and having a goaltender that they can trust. You know, 30 years, my whole hockey fandom, the Flyers have been looking for that and never had it with, you know, the exception of a year or two with Ron Hextall, maybe. So the the thing is, is what's got to be concerning or we got to keep in the back of your mind. Let's put it that way. What you need to keep in the back of your mind is the Flyers have now gone through this. They had, they got number one through the round robin. They got through their series with Montreal in six, and they did that without their big gun scoring eventually you feel like Giroux and Couturier and these guys are going to get it going offensively, Konechny. And if they do and Hart can keep that up, I, the Flyers are really going to take off. It's just the question is whether they can or not. But there's no reason not to think that Hart, that Hart like you said, is, is, it was a one-trick pony. There's no reason to think that this isn't going to continue from him. It's, it's going to be tough because as the series wears on him, I remember we talked with Jim Jackson, the play-by-play voice of the Philadelphia Flyers, before – the playoffs when training camp had just started back up, we mentioned how important, how actually vital is going to be the fact that there isn't all this fanfare that you typically have with the playoffs because of a young goaltender like Carter Hart. All the fans, whether you're going in a road barn or even playing at home, and we all know Philadelphia can be pretty rowdy. It's yep. it was going to be easier for him to kind of ease into these playoffs because you're playing in front of an empty arena. Yeah, there's music and graphics and stuff, but it's just a hockey game. It's a summer league looking type of atmosphere at least that's what it looks like on tv obviously for Carter Hart maybe a little different obviously a lot of a lot of a lot of lot going on at stake but it was going to be easier because he wasn't going to have to hear the fans wasn't have to hear that it was just going to be playing the game that he knows how to play and so far knock on wood he's been able to do that yeah no and then you know I the same can kind of be obviously the same true for everybody and I think you know it's it seems to be very tough for some it seems, you know, and, and you wonder, you know, the Flyers, I feel like, are kind of slowly building. And that's kind of what you're seeing here is that, you know, they're, they're dealing with that, but they're playing their game. And, and, and what's going to be most important with, with because of what you said, because of this kind of, I'm going to use the term sterile. I know it's probably got a ne- negative connotation. I don't mean it negatively. It's just compared. You mean it compared- negatively, Thomas. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, I mean, comparatively, it is a very it is a very sterile environment. The the and it's kind of playoff cliche, but here more than ever, first goal is going to be so important because as we've seen in the playoffs, both these teams are more than happy to just choke your life right out of you. And and without that kind of crowd boost to kind of give you that extra to get you going, you know, and you were talking about Hart. I'm, I'm looking at it again throughout the course of this whole series. First goal, it kind of, and, and you could see a lot of first goal, you know, not, you know, the, whoever scores the first goal winning. And again, I think you're going to see a lot like the Montreal series where it could be the, a race to two to win games in this series. I, you know, it's funny. I remember when, cause listen, it, being as a play by play guy, when you're calling a one nothing game, it can get a really excruciating if there's not a lot of offense. Right. I, I remember, I mean, you and I have done games where we've had 12 goals on each side or something like that, just ridiculous numbers. 
And then we've had games that are just very tight and concise. But I remember Pierre LeBron, I believe, of TSN came out and said, man, finally, because I think it was game five when Montreal won the wild game to stay alive. And I remember I, they said, I'm like, finally, there's something going on in this series. And I'm like, there's been plenty of going on. As a goaltender, I love low-scoring games. I love to see the goaltenders battle out. I remember I did a Ferris game with Harrison Watt, who we'll have later on in the show, against Michigan Tech, and it was a, it was a 2 nothing game. It was the most fun game I had calling, at least outside of Davenport, Thomas, outside of Davenport with you. It, You're fine. Just because that was an exciting game. There were chances, but the defense and goaltending were solid on both sides. At that, Now, going off of that, do you think the offense is going to open up in this series? Because... You know, we're, we're learning a lot that mental fatigue is becoming a thing here in this bubble of these playoffs. Or do you think both teams defensively are just going to really bunker down and we're going to see five, six, seven games that are all going to be one nothing? What do you think? I think in, in this series, I don't see offenses opening up. And of course, now that I've said that, the average goals per game will be about eight and a half to nine and a half. But I am going to stand by what I what my gut tells me. My gut tells me is just it's not going to open up. Um and, and that's just because, and it's not, I think it's just because the two teams are so comfortable with it not opening up. You know, it, like I said, the Islanders just, they just want to suffocate you. It's the same thing with Philly, it, it would appear, or at least with what we've seen is Philly is far more, is is comfortable getting that one nothing, 2 nothing lead as they did against Montreal. And then Montreal didn't really have a sniff of anything in those games. And, and, and here's where I, I both agree with you and disagree with you. I agree with you. You can have a one nothing game be wildly entertaining based on are there chances and just, you know, just wide, just high, great saves, good defense, diving defensive plays. I really did kind of agree with, you know, you said it was Pierre LeBron that said it. I agree with it. There were some, the, that, the game three and four, I was bored. <laughs> I was bored. And th- there's nothing, hey, winning hockey, who cares? Who cares? But at the end of the day, I was like, okay. All right, come on. And that game five was far more entertaining to me. <laughs> the goalie may feel different, but to me. And I do kind of expect, I, I, I think that at least to get started, that's what the two teams are going to are gonna try to kind of hang their hats on because that is what they hang their hats on. I do agree that it's going to be a certainly tight series. Alex, we made sure we put the picks out on Twitter. Alex picked the Flyers to win in six. I picked the Flyers in seven. Him and I actually picked the same teams, different games. I picked them in seven just because I think it is going to be extremely tight. Barry Trotz's defense is going to suffocate the Flyers, but I feel like, as I knock on wood, because I love Carter Hart, I've watched him through his junior career, both with Everett and the WHL, his time on the international stage with Team Canada. Carter Hart, I feel like, is going to be the real key factor in this series, as he was in round one for the Philadelphia Flyers over Montreal. Thomas, what were you, I didn't exactly read your picks up beforehand. What do you think, how do you think this series is going to play out? Yeah, I already made picks. I forgot the games that I've, with the teams and the games that I've picked, but I did I did put a pick out for my personal Facebook page and a, a little bit of a, a podcast that I'm a part of and, and when we put out some episodes. And and I know I had the Flyers, and I'm going to stick with that pick. I, I want to say I might have had Flyers in seven as well. Um, and... You know, I, I actually, you know, I, and I, and I said in the post what I, it's really tough for me to get on board with this belief that the Flyers are the shutdown team. And I just have a problem. I, I'm like, I, ha- I haven't been overwhelmingly impressed with them, but I still think, I don't think that the, the difference here, or the, the wild card or, or 
which most important, isn't Carter Hart. I think we know what to expect for them. I think it's more, can the Flyers' guns start gunning? Can can Drew and connect? Can these guys? I, I, the big three I'm going to look at because Borchek's already kind of got it going. Drew, Konechny, Couturier. Can these guys start getting in some pucks into the net? Because I think once they start seeing them go in, they're going to start feeling better. And I think that's going to be the decider of the series: is can the big guns for the Flyers take off? If they can't, they're in a lot of trouble. But by by picking the Flyers, I'm obviously thinking that eventually they're going to get it going. And they'll be able to do enough to get the series win. You know, you just know Philip Myers is going to score like four goals in this series for the Flyers. Now a guy just like never scores. I mean, that's what they expect for these playoffs. And I mean, exactly. We're I mean, Komarov's going to you know score seven, all seven goals for the Islanders in this series, and all eight goals are going to be scored by two defensemen for the Flyers. That I couldn't even maybe maybe the Ghost Bear comes flying out of the gate again. That would be well, great. It's, it's it's like you said, or. You know, we mentioned, you know, at at some point, I don't remember if it was after the three games of the round robin or if it was after the, you know, a couple games of the the Montreal series. Scott Lawton was the leading player, leading scorer for the Flyers, third line player. Eventually, Kevin Hayes kind of picked it up and now him and Voracek are there, which kind of looks good or looks like what you'd expect. But way down that list are the guys that I mentioned. and, And that's why you're right. I think that. For them to win games, they those bottom guys, those guys at the bottom that are normally at the top, need to move to the top. It'll be interesting to see how that starts up. That's going to start in two and a half minutes, it looks like, according to my clock. So that game will be starting. So if you're an Islanders fan or a Flyers fan, well, you can tune us out and you can catch us on the replay tomorrow and watch your game, or you can have us both on at the same time. I mean, you know, technology is the thing. You can do that. I mean, I'm doing it, so no reason why you can't do it. Unfortunately, I can because, I mean, I don't really have a TV here. I have my phone, which has got the chat going on right now. So if I see anything come up in there. But let's move on to the other series, the only other Eastern Conference series that has started. The other two have in the West. Tampa Bay versus Boston. The third time these two teams have ever faced off in the postseason starts off with a game one win for the Boston Bruins. We'll talk a little bit more about the teams and what to expect the rest of the series here in just a minute. But let's get our reactions here to game one. Bruins win three to two. I mean, I'll be honest with you, that looked like, for 85% of the game, Thomas, correct me if I'm wrong, it seemed like that was Tampa's game to win, but they met this guy who just seems to just light it up in the playoffs named Yaroslav Halak. Yeah. I don't, you know, I didn't necessarily feel 85% of it. I think the the second period, obviously, was completely theirs. I really thought it was uh, punch-counterpunch through the first. Obviously, the Lightning had the majority, like they own the second. Um, I thought the third would, would, was a slight Lightning tilt. So I guess, oh, you know, if we're going to put percentages on it, say, you know, it's probably closer to 70 than 85. But yeah, I mean, it would, but that's, you know, that's kind of, I, I don't want to say that's, that's playoff hockey, but, you know, that's the Bruins were real good defensively this, this season. They were the number one team defensively in the regular season for a reason they can shut you down and and when you look at it when you think about it if you really try to put your you know put your thinking cap on and look back at the game was there anything remarkable about what Halak did were there were there these crazy mad unbelievable saves were there you know point blank a lot of it felt like kind of outside looking for tips looking for redirections Whereas opposed to the Bruins, I felt like were more dangerous, even though I think territorially it was the Lightning. 
I, I thought it was a hell of a game. I was thoroughly entertained throughout the course of the game. That is to be sure. Yeah, 35 save for Yaroslav Alok, 18 in that second period. You mentioned Thomas. Tampa Bay getting a lot of great chances. Victor Hedman scoring both goals for the Tampa Bay Lightning. The goal score came from Charlie Coyle, a nice little tip in to start off the score, and then David Pasternak and Brad Marchand. Marchand on the power play. Let's get into the Bruins because that right there, those last two goals should be the telltale sign. And we saw it towards the end of that of that series against Carolina. The top three are back. Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak, with Pasternak coming back in the lineup. If those, if that top line can get going, I, I'll be honest with you, Tampa's in trouble. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's so funny because watching the game and oh, when it started and then watching pregame, and listening to broadcasts, all they talked about was how bad Boston looked, how bad Boston looked, how bad Boston looked, and can they just flip a switch? Can they just flip a switch? Well, I don't think they just flipped the switch. What I think they've done is slowly started stepping up the ladder a little bit. You know, they 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 didn't they were real low, and then they started to put some shifts together towards the end of the round robin, and then they started to put some periods together during the course of the Carolina series. And at least as far as the perfection line is concerned, I thought that every time they were out there, they were noticeable last night. I really just felt like that every time they were out there, they were noticeable. And, and it, and they, you're right. Like you said, they're back, but they're not a one trick pony. And that's what I think really needs to be seen. David Krejci's probably actually been the best, most consistent player on the ice. If you're taking the whole play of the restart as a whole, uh, Charlie Coyle has scored a couple of big goals. Um, and then their defense is just so stout, you know, Boston, Boston really is. It's the perfection line gets the headlines, but that is really a good team all the way through. You know, it's funny because every regular season you watch David Krejci, you see him like he's like seventh in the team in scoring. He's a non-factor. And then boom, the playoffs hit and here he comes like, oh yeah, I can do this thing. He's done it his entire career. And he's one of those guys, I unfortunately can't name off the top of my head, but there's always those certain guys that come the playoffs, come when it matters most, they just light it up and they become one of the biggest players and one of the best on their team, respective teams. And Krejci over the years has done that. And once again, he's been able to do that as he now has 10 points overall, had eight points, three goals and five assists in that series against Carolina. I mean, you need depth guys and you got guys like Jake DeBras and Chris Wagner playing big minutes for Boston. Having guys Andrew like that all over the lineup. Yeah, those guys, and it, like I said, it's going to be the top line, obviously, leading the offensive charge. But the fact that they can put their second line, their third line, even their fourth line out there sometimes and can expect to get offensive opportunities, that may be a telltale sign for their opponent that this could be a long series for them. Yeah, I, but, you know, I, I feel like that's been true for Boston since the 2011 Cup, you know, is that they – Four lines, they're going to roll four lines, they're going to play four lines, and four lines are going to do, <laughs> they're all going to be noticeable out there. They're all going to play their part. You know, they. it seems like the third line always seems to have trade deadline acquisitions in it. I don't know why, it's just a gut feeling where they always go out and are adjusting that third line. But, you know, when it, you know last year was Achari, two, or for the last two years, Nolan Achari. He goes to Florida. Okay, Nordstrom step up. Wagner's there, but like you said, it just always seems like if we were to go back and look at say the 2013 playoffs or the 2011 Cup, I bet we'd see the same thing. Where deep in the lineup, there's these great guys that are getting the job done, and it, I can't even say it shocks me anymore with what Boston does because everybody's so again, and I think a lot of it's so focused on the top that you forget that 
you know, the bottom's coming and they can do things too. And that's just, that's the perfect team, a perfect formula in order for a team to really make a deep run into the playoffs. Their opponent is the Tampa Bay Lightning. Victor Hedman, like we said, scoring the two goals in game one, being led right now in points by Braden Point. How ironic, how coincidental. Yeah. 11 points through the round robin and the first round of the playoffs. Nikita Kucherov chiming in with, I believe, nine points. And, you know, without Steven Stamkos, the Lightning looked very good against Columbus. They looked a lot more confident. They they didn't seem as timid. And, and I'd say that because I wasn't too favorable of them going into that series against Columbus because I thought Columbus's defense was just going to suction cup them. They were not going to be able to get anything going. I, I but, picked them too. I picked Columbus in that. And we picked them. I think we picked, I think Alex picked them in four. I said Tampa was going to win one, but the offense was there. And I think one of the key factors as the series wore on, it seemed like Columbus started to carry the offense more. Andre Vasilevsky, a guy that I have driven home that I said does not deserve to be a Vesna caliber goaltender just because of the fact that he's won a lot of games doesn't mean he should be the guy. He proved, especially in those last two games, those last two wins for the Lightning, proved why he is a Vesna caliber goaltender with the performances he put in. I've, I've kind of I, I've kind of always been a believer in Vasilevsky. It, it didn't surprise me um, much about the success that he's had. Um you know, they, they also have a, one of the best decor, I think, in the league when you go really one through seven, one through eight, when you look at them all the way through. Um, they're a really talented group. The forwards, have re- again, I don't see a huge difference between these two teams. Um, I think the one difference is really going to boil down to Halak and, uh, you know, versus Vasilevsky as an overall in net. And, I don't think that they have any reason to be panicked or worried with the game one loss, um, especially, you know, again, considering the sterile environment. Yes, I, I'm a firm believer that last change matters, and that is a big deal. And so there is a home ice advantage on that front um, for matchups. I mean, and that really is about it. But I do put some stock into that, you know, because I've got friends that say, well, it doesn't matter who the home team is. You're pick, it's all fashion. It's the jersey color is what it's deciding. I don't think that's true 100% because in this series, for instance, you know, Boston, if, the, if they see for the perfection line going out, John Cooper's probably going to answer with Victor Hedman. Where if Victor Hedman's not on the ice, guess who's probably coming out for Boston? And I think that's big. Personally, I think that's really big. So, but overall... Getting back kind of to the Lightning, you know, that third line has really been very, very good. And they kind of was really what carried them um, down the stretch in that series against Columbus. They looked good yesterday with with Goudreau and, and Gord and um, uh, Coleman. The, the, Blake Coleman. Coleman. Yep. yep, Blake Coleman. Two deadline acquisitions along with Gord. And, you know, that, that line was really good. And I thought it was really good again yesterday, too. And I just, you know... I mean, you have Tyler Johnson scoring. I feel like Tyler Johnson's been the worst $5 million hockey player in the last couple of seasons. He's starting to pick it back up, too. The question's going to be, because it seems like Boston's confidence is there. And I don't know if Boston just kind of, you know, blindly just kind of coasted through the round robin, not really caring. Or that's what it seemed like, I tell That's you. what it looked like. And, uh, you know, Tuka Rask leaves the bubble, and Halak comes in. And Halak has shown, I mean, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, Rask is leaving. This is the worst thing in the world. Yaroslav Halak has shown that he can be a solid 1B that can turn to a 1A. Now, his time in St. Louis, I'm sure St. Louis Blues fans can say, was up and down at times. But if you're talking just a playoff, 
Halak can be a clutch goaltender. Can the Tampa Bay Lightning's offense pick it up and beat Halak enough to where Boston's offense, their top guns, and their depth trying to go after Vasilevsky? I mean, it seems like as defensively sound as Tampa can be, it seems like it's gonna. this could be the offense versus offense series that some fans just love to watch. You know, I do think, I don't know if it's going to be a war, if it's a worn out situation or an offense or just Tampa rising situation. I do think Tampa will start getting to a lock. Um, You know, the two shots yesterday, not only were they, you know, two point shots by Hedman, they both deflected off of McAvoy. Um, The second, while they said the second one deflected off of McAvoy, I didn't really see it. I, you know, I, I tried to see it, and I'm like, eh, if it hit him, it grazed him, and I think it might have been going in anyway. Halak said it went off a guy. So goaltender's rule. It went off oh, a guy. oh, yeah. Goaltenders, it, it always went off a guy. Never beats a goaltender clean. Hit something. All yeah. Defensive and stick something. Absolutely. 100% of the time, which I get. But, um, again, because I'm going off the, the philosophy, they, they didn't play bad. They were very good that second period. They had Boston on their, their heels the whole time. I And, again, I – the, the reverse of, you know, I don't think panic sets in by losing a game one in this environment because it's not like, okay, we better win game two because we're going to Boston. I mean, they still obviously don't want to fall behind 2 nothing, but that's where that home road sterilization comes in. As much as I said that it's important that you get, you know, it's important to – to, with, the, with the changes, I, it, it loses importance in terms of traveling and like, oh, no, we're 1-1 going to Boston. It's no, no. We can easily win games three and four on the road because we're all still here together and we're only different as the matchup and not the crowd, too. And Bruce Cassidy has shown over the last couple of seasons that he can be a master of the matchup, especially when they have the home ice advantage, even though, like I said, it's all in Toronto. But listen, the dark sweaters, they get the last change. That can be huge, especially with offensive zone faceoffs, icing calls, all that stuff. I'm sure Phil Sweeney is just loving the fact that we're talking about matchups because he loves that stuff. Yeah. I picked Boston in, what was I picked? I picked Boston in four. Now, I say that, Thomas, I'm gonna, that's why I'm going to ask your take on it. I just feel like Boston's physicality, I know that's always been their thing ever since, even before the 2011 championship team. Their physicality has always been their bread and butter. They're able to get opponents off their games by using the body, using the physical play. I just don't see Tampa standing up to the Bruins, no pun intended, because I just don't see that their lineup, I mean, they have some depth guys, they have Goudreau, they have guys like Blake Coleman, they have a little bit of zest in their step. I don't think that's going to be enough, though, to go up against Boston's physicality because it's not just, you know, guys like Chris Wagner or Chara or McAvoy throwing the body. It's up and down that entire lineup that they're physical. I think the physicality of Boston is going to take over Tampa. What do you think? I didn't, I did not think that. Um, I, I went with Tampa and seven. Um, and really it, it has to do more with the goaltending situation. Um, I, I agree with you. I, I'm not saying that Halak can't do it. I'm all, I, it's more the idea that it's a lot easier to be the one B during the course of the regular season. But I think at the end of the day, he's still a 35 year old goaltender that when they're talking about his best playoff moments, they go back a decade to 2010 when he carried Montreal to the conference finals versus in, in, in the schedule in this series too. four games. They play the first three games in four days, four games in six. 
can Halak stay, keep that kind of, keep going with that? That's a lot of hockey for a guy. Well, granted, they all haven't played it a lot, but it really has been a long time since Halak's been needed and that kind of stretch. And, and I think that at the end of the day, I also think that, that, that Tampa, by adding Maroon and putting that, that third line together, I think Pat Maroon is an annoying pain in the butt that's going to be running into everybody too. I think that third line getting getting called the Nat line, I think that that's a real spot-on <laughs> nickname for them. Won't leave you um, alone. Yeah, I think that they're going to be able to do enough with the physicality. And then with Vasilevsky over Halak, I think the Lightning actually will win this series. You, you talk about the 1B scenario, and I love to always bring it up. I'm pretty sure I brought it up at least four times on the show. Thomas, you can tell me. Who, sure. was, the num- who was the 1A goaltender for the 96-97 Detroit Red Wings during the regular season? So here, here's where I'm going to say that that's different. And, oh. yeah. No, you're, no but I, I get what you're, you're, you're driving at there. Was, Chris Osgood is the answer, everyone, if anyone's right. asking. And, and, and Mike Vernon ended up getting the call in game one. Well, and so now, what, first of all, there's there's no kit situation here. They're both like it was no like. Well, Osgood kind of failed last year, so let's 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 give it to Vernon more the veteran thing. I also just think it's it's two entirely different things because that was <laughs> Osgood and Vernon. I think you're right. It was a surprise when Vernon got the start for Game One, but it wasn't a shock. This was. Tugarask packing up his pucks and leaving and us saying, okay, Yero Halak, you are it. There is no choice. There's no backup. If he gives up six, okay, they're going to pull him, but you know he's getting it the next night. Whereas opposed to even in the playoffs, if Vernon wasn't good those first two or three games, they would have gone with Osgood. That's not going to be the case here. This is Halak and Halak only. Right. And I, I, I'll be honest with you. I couldn't even tell you who the backup is for for the for the Bruins in this yes. series. I is it, they, they mentioned it one game, and I, the name has already flown out the out of my mind. I'm trying to think who the Providence goal. I couldn't even tell you. I remember when when I when I made my outrageous prediction that Carolina was going to sweep Boston. I looked at Alex I'm like, who's the goaltender from Providence? Because that, at that time, Tuka Rask was going to be the starter. I said, who's right. the goaltender from Providence? Nobody knows, and I'm yeah. sure that there's some Boston fan listening. I mean, well, excuse me. If there's any Boston fans still listening to the show, watching the show after that tirade, I'd like to know who the goaltender is. They probably know. I don't. But then again, I mean, I've I've voiced my opinion. I'm sure my dad, who is a Bruins fan, I use the quotes hard on that one. I'm sure he doesn't even know who the backup is for Boston. He is, and I told him that Tuka Rask left. He's like, well, who's the other goaltender? I'm like, it's a lock, Dad. And he's like, oh, okay. But yeah. Listen, I wasn't going to write, even when I, against Carolina, when I saw that, that, you know, I thought Carolina, okay, so <laughs> I thought Carolina was going to win before the series started. We all and, <laughs> and And just because of so how bad Boston looked during the course of the series, it had nothing to do with the goaltending. And I didn't necessarily think that the series was over when they said that, when Rass said that he was going, over, going home, any more than it already was, thinking that Carolina was the better team. I just think that, like I said, Tampa's a much different beast. Tampa's the majority of this roster is still very similar to that team that won, you know, the or that went to, made a run to the Cup Finals in 2015. Um, I just think that they that they know that they and they they can go down a run and they're going to be able to get it done. I, I and 
I wouldn't be shocked. Don't get me wrong. Any None of these series would shock me. If the reverse happened, then my picks, there will be no shock factor in any of this series. But at the end of the day, still thinking that this is Tampa series. Oh, oh, Kelly says hi if you couldn't hear her. She's Claire, I got her. Hello. Yeah, she – oh, yeah, but I forget. I, my mic is connected to my laptop, so that's why it sounds a little different. I couldn't just pack up the entire mixer set because – Sure. That, that would have been a – well, okay. I would have had we gone to Dallas, but we didn't. So, I, unfortunately, so I, I'm like, yeah, just leave it home. We got the old classic earbuds. Yes, I have corded earbuds, people. Did you tell them I said hi? Yeah. That's the only way I have them. You – well, you're not, you're not wearing them, are you? I'm not, but I I don't even have the little ear. I'm convinced that they would just constantly fall out of my ear. I don't know how people do it. Like while running jaw, I don't, I don't understand any of that. I've worn them. I got the cheap ones, but they do work. However, if you want good ones, you have to you have to kind of pay a little bit, which yeah. is a pain in the butt. And because they, they make some for Samsung too, because I got the new Samsung S20. I'm like, I'd love something like that so I can throw it in my arm and I wouldn't have to have the cord dangling. It's just like hundred dollars and i'm just like well you know i could spend a hundred dollars on earbuds or i could save a hundred dollars to buy on seattle kraken gear which one do there you go. Yeah. yeah that's i mean you're just thinking smart now yeah i i almost had an impulse buy i walked by one of the sports shops here in denver on the 16 uh, the 16th street mall and i walk into the sports shop they got you know rocky stuff bronco stuff whatnot and Avs stuff obviously and the Avs play tonight and i'm like you have a nazim kadri shirt and the guy looked at me and he's like who? And I'm like, you're kidding. <laughs> Leading goal scorer, you don't know. I'm like, oh. But they have, of course, they have McKinnon, Landeskog, and stuff like that. No McCarr shirts either. I mean, come on. I mean, he's been here for over a year. I mean, you think Kale McCarr would be like a popular guy now. I, I'm i going to say something, and then I'm going to duck because I don't I don't want to send you on any sort of tangent or tirade. Don't forget, the only people I can hear are my earbuds. So our, our tenants upstairs, they may not hear you. So hopefully you should be okay. <laughs> I think if I think if Kadri is still in Toronto instead of Kerfoot, let's just say Kadri Kerfoot, I think Toronto probably wins that series. No, Kadri Barry Kerfoot. Yeah. I, I don't think Kerfoot was bad. I liked Kerfoot. He did a magnificent job. Hell, he scored shorthanded goals. He was looking good. It's Barry. But the problem was is that because I know you're a big fan of the secondary stats. I guess Barry had some awful secondary, like the the special stats. He. Tyson Berry was awful if you're looking at those in the postseason. Listen, Timmy Lilligren's going to be on the team next year. This, I guess, this is going to be the best part about the offseason because we're just going to go full tilt as soon as the playoffs are over. But there's going to be a lot of movement with that team. You think so? And I'm sure that my, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, talking about the Leafs again. Listen. No, I, I did it. It was my fault. I brought it up. But I just – the way that – you mentioned Colorado. You mentioned Nazem Kadri, and I – Moral of the story, the short version is I've been pretty impressed by how Nazem Kadri's played it for Colorado this year. And this is where I always say, man, imagine if Kadri does not get suspended in those two series against Boston. At least the Leafs can say they've won a series since 2004. Yeah, I, I, the, I think the, the last one, I think that they probably win. I, I think, just, yeah, it, yeah the, the, when he missed what, he just spent the final three games, right? Yeah, that yeah. was that was the killer. It's it just it. You, as soon as they said he's gonna be done for the rest of the series, and I'm like, well, if they could pull it off, great. But you need a guy like that in the playoffs. And Kadri has shown. I mean, and it's funny. Everyone's like, wow, look at the kind of score he is. This is the kind of guy that this is. He, this is what he did in juniors. Nazem Kadri. I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about it with when we get with Harrison. But Nazem Kadri's production offensively should not be a shock to anyone. He's been this good since he was a kid. The fact that he's able to do it now because he's not suspended in the playoffs just shows how good 
you know, this is the what could have been scenario with the Leafs of how good he would have been in the playoffs had he not lost his mind on a couple of occasions. Yeah, and and what he's committed one penalty so far for Colorado. So oh, now you better knock on wood because they play tonight. We're going to be at the bar watching the game with a bunch of other Avs fans, and I don't want them losing their mind saying, "What could have Kadri? Why did Kadri do that?" And I'm like, "Hello, oh. you're the you're the one that's in Denver, so I don't have to worry about them losing their mind." Well, lucky you, uh, Thomas. I guess before we let you go here, let's get your quick picks here on the Western Conference. We'll break it down a little bit more with Harrison when we come back from break. Who do you think comes out and ends up in the Western Conference Finals? So listen, I'm going to do what I think is right. My initial pick was Colorado. Um, now that they've lost their goaltender and probably one of their top three defensemen, that pick hurts. But you know what? I'm going to stick with what I saw. And injuries happen, and you don't always know. The backup for Colorado has not been bad at all, and his numbers have been good. So I don't think that that – I think the bigger loss might actually be Eric Johnson over Philip Grubauer. Uh, but my initial pick was Colorado, so I'm going to stay with that because that's what you do. You stick with your prediction. Um, and I also picked Vegas, and I, I see Vegas has probably looked like the, has been the best team in the bubble outside of Colorado, and now that Colorado's lost two big pieces, I think Vegas is playing the best hockey in the bubble. It'll be an interesting. I have a 1-2 on one side and maybe a 1-2 on the other if the Flyers yeah. Tampa can pull it out like Thomas said. I think it's going to be Philly and Boston because why not? Let's just have a good old-fashioned 70s rivalry. Philly, Listen, I hate that. It'll be great. And Jack Would Edwards can, that. you know, go Jack Edwards again. Because we all love Jack Edwards here on the Kilo Show. All of us do. Such a short caster. Thomas and I are <laughs> doing part-time jobs right now. Well, that guy's a full-timer. Yeah, right? It's great stuff. Thomas Biondo, thank you very much for once again coming on for a seventh time. Make sure I have my fingers right on that one. Seven-time guest here on the Kilo Show. You can catch him, hopefully, in January. Him and I calling games at Davenport. You can follow him on Twitter at ThomasBiondo1. You can follow him on Instagram. Is it Beyondo TV for Instagram? Yes, it is. Beyondo TV for Instagram. And follow him on Facebook as well because you'll see his pics and you can tell him he's wrong to his face. Well, okay, to his Twitter face and his social media face, not really to his face because I'm not going to tell you people where you live, Thomas, because that'd be – you know, I'm sure you. I'm sure you like your little privacy. You know. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Definitely don't he, do that. He lives. He lives. Hold on. Wait. My God. Not, that's, um, that's as much as you can. That's, yeah. That's, over I here, live. he lives in Michigan. Right. <laughs> Thomas, thank you very much for coming on, and we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Tyler, it's a pleasure as always. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Thomas Biondo here on the Kewl Show for a seventh time. You can you can click off, Thomas. You can. Okay, I, I don't know what's going on, everybody. <laughs> Thomas Miando always being a beauty as always. Can't wait. Can't wait to get working with him again because Thomas is always a fun guy. I mean, that's why we had him on because A, he's a genius guy back with his in the box podcast with uh, in Detroit talking about all this stuff. That's why he's been such a great insight because he's been preparing as well as I slowly make sure I get his name off the board there. There we go. And just me again for just a little bit here. We'll have to- we'll have Harrison Watt from Ferris State come on here in about 20, 22 minutes here as I do my math quickly here as he's coming at quarter two, the top of the hour here on the Kewl Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Thank you once again for tuning in here on YouTube. I always want to say Instagram. We're not Instagram live. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Zingo TV. And if you're, of course, watching the replay on our Kewl Show YouTube channel, thank you. And listening as well if you are. I'm sure you had a couple of awkward moments when I was talking to Thomas. We'll probably have to cut that out because, well... You know, it's just kind of awkward to hear Thomas say nothing. And thank you, appreciate it. I think it was my dad that called out that one there. Make sure 
that, well, we could hear Thomas's beautiful voice because it's always great to hear Thomas. And once again, our show is brought to you by our good friends at Second String Leather and MyBookie.ag. Get my finger on the screen. There we go. MyBookie.ag. Get it used to working here on the Google Meets here because we, this may be something that we may do in the future because as much as we love, you know, just being in the studio, having just us on screen while we have a picture of our guests and we are on the phone, maybe a little bit easier. It's kind of cool to have someone see their face and you kind of see their reaction and stuff like that because, I mean, obviously it's always fun to just talk to some of the names we've had in the past and it'd be great to talk to them face-to-face. Well, face-to-face, of course. So, but before we bring Harrison on, before we go to break, there's something we need to talk about. We talked about Vegas and they get a win last night over the Vancouver Canucks in game one of their series. We need to talk about Marc-Andre Fleury's agent. Now, if you haven't heard the news, Marc-Andre Fleury's agent, Alan Walsh, tweeted a picture, a obviously an edited picture, of Marc-Andre Fleury being stabbed in the back with a bloody sword, a very graphic picture, with the sword saying on it, Pete DeBoer, DeBoer being the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. And Marc-Andre Fleury came out quickly and asked him to politely to take it down. I'm sure he said it politely because Marc-Andre Fleury seems like a very nice guy. I'm sure he says a couple of bad words on occasion, but I feel like he was like, um, Alan, can you please take that down? It does not look good on either of us. I'm pretty sure that's what he said. Let's just go with that. So what spawned all this? Marc-Andre Fleury, before the trade deadline, before Pete DeBoer was hired, after head coach Gerard Gallant was fired by the Vegas Golden Knights earlier in the offs, earlier in the regular season, Marc-Andre Fleury was the face of the franchise of the Vegas Golden Knights. Number one goaltender, leading the team on deep playoff runs in the first year all the way to the cup final. Would have gone to the cup final last year had it not been for some poor officiating, but this year wasn't as strong as usual. By December, his numbers were looking mediocre. He was starting to look like his age was catching up to him. Gerard Gallant, Gerard Gallant gets fired. And Marc-Andre Fleury took that very personally because he felt like it was his play that ended up leading to Gallant being fired. Enter Pete DeBoer, who had just been recently fired by the San Jose Sharks and goes over to the division rival, the team that has had two great battles between San Jose and Vegas. Pete DeBoer comes in, team starts to play better, as does Marc-Andre Fleury. Okay, everything's looking good. The team wasn't quite sure, though, if Fleury was ready to go. They bring in some extra assistance for goaltending. Robin Leonard gets traded for Malcolm Subban from Chicago. And Leonard was not having the greatest year, but neither were the Hawks at that time. So Leonard comes in and plays okay, and then they come back out of the bubble. They go to the pause, they come back to the bubble, and next thing you know, you have Robin Leonard getting the goal call. And what spawned all this? We don't know exactly the conversation being held between Flurry and Leonard and DeBoer, or in particular, Flurry and DeBoer and the front office of the Vegas Golden Knights, George McPhee, or excuse me, Kelly McCrimmon, pardon me. And I am not sure because Leonard has been in the net each and every game, except for one, the Vegas Golden Knights, that one being a win against Chicago in the first round series. For Marc-Andre Fleury, I'm talking about. I don't know Listen, Marc-Andre Fleury is a very open person. He's a very likable guy. Everyone likes talking to him. He's always very approachable. We'll talk with the media and whatnot. Obviously, there's some things you can't say in the media. Everyone complains about how hockey players are robots when the mics are in front of them because they don't want to say something stupid. They don't want to say something they're, they're in regret. They don't want to say something that's going to come back to haunt them later on down the line. But obviously, he's very open with his agent, Alan Walsh. Alan Walsh, a very accredited member. He's got a lot of clients in his in his repertoire, both hockey players and whatnot, or of, of the NHL. 
And obviously he's very open about him, how he feels. Yes, did Pete DeBoer decide we're going to go with Robin Leonard instead of Marc-Andre Fleury? Because let's be honest, Robin Leonard has shown that he can be a number one goaltender in today's NHL. He can be the guy that can lead this team. Heck, he got a shutout last night, his first career playoff shutout. That said, why the quick change from Fleury to Leonard? Fleury was looking better. I'm not saying DeBoer's decision was bad, because obviously look where they're at right now. They're three wins away from going on the conference final. But I don't believe the conversation, or what could have been the conversation between DeBoer and Fleury? Hey, we're going to go with Leonard instead. Because in order for Alan Walsh, and listen, I get it. Sports agents, I've always been against them. I think they talk too much. Darren Ferris, I'm sorry. Mitch Marner's agent, I, pfft, I'm sorry. All right? I never liked agents. I think they're all, I mean, they're not worthless. I get that. But how boisterous they are and how they make, Every, how they make every situation seem difficult at times whenever they try to speak out, that's why I don't like him. Hence, this picture, I'm not going to post it because I don't I believe I don't have the ability to post it right now because I didn't save it. But long story short, photo gets posted, and next thing you know, chaos. Because it was quickly taken down, but guess what, folks? Twitter is a wonderful thing. People follow Alan Walsh. And they saw it. Guess what they did? Screenshot, save the picture, download it, put it into a Z drive that they're going to send to everyone else. And all of a sudden, the picture goes everywhere. That's when, obviously, this chaos started. And Marc-Andre Fleury was approached when we talked, by, talked to the media before the series. And he kind of put it off. He said, listen, I got it. told him to take it down, whatnot. The fact that Fleury didn't come out and said what he wanted to say, because here's the problem. Here's my problem with all this. I don't have a problem with the fact that Marc-Andre Fleury is mad about the situation that he's put in. I'm not mad that Marc-Andre Fleury told his agent, his agent said, you know, standing up for his client, whatever. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with it that it's the fact that it's in the middle of the playoffs, right before round two, right before this Vegas team, we talked with Thomas a second ago, has an honest opportunity to be one of the best teams in the West and make it to back to the cup final. I have a problem with an agent stepping in and saying, because listen, you don't think Mark andre Fleury just walks in to the lock, locker room after round one and says, you know what, we're moving on, boys, but I don't like this. I think I should be the starter. You all suck. I'm getting stabbed in the back by your head coach. No, he doesn't say that. Fleury is a veteran on this team, and we saw it during the playoffs. He's a very supportive guy for Robin Leonard. That is a great dynamic duo. They're absolutely, they're good. They're good buddies. They're good goaltending pals. And you know Fleury is not going to say that to his team. Yes, he says that to his agent in confidence. But then his agent goes out of his way to make sure everyone knows, hey, my guy's getting stabbed in the back. That's okay, fine. Time and place. Time and place. You don't come out and say, hey, listen, my guy's getting screwed. But yeah, but we're in the middle of the playoffs. We need to focus on this. Nope, nope. My guy's getting screwed. Fix it now. No, you wait until after the season. Because guess what? Hey, Marc-Andre Fleury may get a fourth Stanley Cup ring. Wouldn't that be great? Hey, guess what? That playoff bonus that you get, Alan Walsh, of your stupid 10% or whatever the heck you get from Marc-Andre Fleury's money, guess what? That would be a little bit more. So why would you try to throw a rift into this team now? Because guess what? The fact that Marc-Andre Fleury told this in confidence to Alan Walsh, and now Alan Walsh made it public that Marc-Andre Fleury is not happy, guess what's that going to Guess what's gonna do to the locker room? Guess, that's, guess what that's going to do? Blah. Tongue moving not as fast as the brain right now. Marc-Andre Fleury may be looked at different. I'm sure Fleury's going to come out and say, listen, because I don't think it's this is a locker room issue, but I just think some guys will look at it a little bit differently. 
obviously now Flurry versus management is going to become one of the biggest things. I'm not saying it's going to be the biggest Austin versus McMahon for all of you wrestling fans out there because A, they're not going to fight about it on television. But you know for a fact now, when Flurry's contract is up, there might not be a place for him. And here's the kicker. I was reading a piece on The Athletic a couple days ago about this story. I, unfortunately, I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me on where I read it. Maybe did I save it? No, I didn't save it. I'm sorry. But I read it, and I, the thing is about this is that Vegas is going to want to keep Leonard, all things considered, if these playoffs go well. Oh, hi, Collie. Nice to see you. I wonder if this is able, if they're able to kind of figure out how to keep both these goaltenders. Because listen, you're not going to be able to trademark Andre Fleury's contract. I don't think you're going to be able to keep both these goaltenders for a long period of time, especially with the flat cap. Yes, you're clear. If you just stay up against over there. Sorry, Kelly's trying to walk through and not walk through the shot. She's trying to stay out of the limelight for once. Yeah, you're fine, hon. Good, okay. Kelly. She's panicking Leave in front. Me alone. <laughs> She's like, oh my gosh, am I going to get the shot? Uh, my hair is not, my hair is not. You want, you want them? You want uh, them? I think they don't want, yeah, Kelly, your hair is fine. I love you a lot. <laughs> but anyways, back to my story at hand before I bring on Harrison Watt here in about uh, six, 12 minutes now. You're on the Kuehl Show. It's going to be tough to keep both these goaltenders. You can't move them. I mean, you could, if yes, could you let Mark Und- or Robin Leonard walk? Yeah, but clearly, as we've seen, that'd be a pretty stupid decision if you're Kelly McCrimmon. If you keep both these goaltenders, you're looking at about, I mean, because I believe Mark Andre Fleur is getting paid around $5 million off the top of my head. Robin Leonard is going to want more about that. You're going to have $10 million wrapped up between your two goaltenders, a flat cap on top of that. There's going to be some free agents you have to look at signing, and you're going to want to add pieces to this hockey club. You're going to really want to do that. I mean, look at look how Dallas had to go into remission for a couple of years because of the fact that Antiniemi and Kari Lettinen were making $10 million between the two of them. Now, granted, looking at the numbers and looking at what the good goaltenders are, Flurry and Leonard may be a better combo, better a better duo in net for the Vegas Golden Knights. But you know, as soon as Fleury, as soon as an opportunity opens itself up for Marc Andre Fleury or at least for the Vegas Golden Knights, they're going to deal Marc-Andre Fleury. When will that be? I don't know. When will that happen in, you know, at the end of the season when the offseason comes around when you can start trading again? I don't know because here's the thing. There's going to be teams that need goaltending out there. But will they be able to fit in Marc-Andre Fleury's contract? Now, obviously, you can go into the whole shenaniganery of having, you know, 50% retention by the Knights or 25% or whatever just to fit under this team's cap and, you know, obviously that team's going to have to give some money back to the Vegas Golden Knights and a player in return because you can't just trade picks for Mark andre Fleury. You're going to want some physical compensation, whether that be a minor league goaltender or a couple of depth players. They're going to have to really figure out how they want to attack this because, listen, Everything froze for a second. Ah, are we good? I think we're good. Huh, I'm a panic attack. When I saw my face freeze, I got a little worried. All right, back to what I was saying. He's going to have to come out and tell him, listen, I'm mad at this situation. Either trade me or make this work. Now, because here's the thing. For next season, we're going to talk about here. Just let's just jump ahead for a second. If Marc-Andre Fleury 
Robin Leonard are the two goaltenders for the Vegas Golden Knights. So you're looking at one of the best tandems in the league. Not just Halak Rask, not just Udobin Bishop, Leonard and Fleury. Now, who's 1A, 1B? That all depends. Who's won three in a row? Who's lost a couple of straight games? That's where you have to look at if you are the coach Peter DeBoer. Here's the problem, though. Peter DeBoer now knows that Marc-Andre Fleury is not too fond of him, and now Peter DeBoer has the ability, as the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, to not play Marc-Andre Fleury. And listen, I know Fleury in that 2017 Cup year for the Penguins was not the number one goaltender. That was Matt Murray. Fleury played a lot of minutes, but he was not the one number one goaltender for that Penguins team. The only reason why he got such big minutes come the playoffs, because remember, game one, or the Penguins, who blows out his groin in the warm-ups? Matt Murray. That's what gave the opportunity for Marc-Andre Fleury to step in and become one of the pretty much premier playoff performers before losing a couple to Ottawa. Murray takes from there, wins the cup. He gets all the praise. Marc-Andre Fleury hands the cup off to Murray. It's the last sentimental moment, yada, yada, yada. Here comes the expansion draft. Marc-Andre Fleury is the face in the franchise, and now it leads us to this point. I just don't like the fact that Agents in sports can come out and say whatever they want, whenever they want, just because their client's been wronged, their client is being treated unfairly, all this, that, whatever. It's the time and a place deal. If you want to stand up for your client, pick your spots. Don't just come out and say, hey, hey, my guy's bad. My, guy, my guy's mad at you guys. He's mad at you. But we're in a playoff run. Who cares? Winning's winning. Mark Andre Fleury can be as mad as he wants, but he's support. He's being a supportive team member. Let him be that. Now he's going to be looked at as like an idiot because he spoke his mind to his agent. <sighs> Listen, I don't know. Fleur, I mean, Fleury's come out and said that he's known Alan Walsh since he was 15 years old. He's been his guy ever since then. Do you trust the guy now? I'm not going to suggest what Mark Andre Fleury is going to do coming up here in the future because that's for him to figure out and that's his money to give away. But if your agent's going to come out and try to put a rift between you and management while you're not even a factor in the playoffs and just try to put your name out there for the headlines, that just seems like kind of something that I'd like to be kept off to the side until the proper time to be brought up to management. That's just me, though. I get it. Listen, hey, I flamed out as a goaltender. I didn't make an approach to have an agent to do contract negotiations and say, I've been wronged. I've been mad that I've been played before, but I didn't take it to Twitter while we were in the middle of a tournament or a playoff stretch. Because I know there's a time and a place. I have mentioned to my coach before, I say, hey, I'd like to play this game. I'd like to dress this game and whatnot. I've done that before, but I've made sure one-to-one private conversation. I haven't stood up in front of, you know, I haven't taken on social media and say, I'm being gypped by my coach and send. I don't do that. No, I no, because there's some things that are kept behind closed doors. I'm pretty sure Flurry would have liked to have kept this behind closed doors, but Alan Walsh said, I have the power. I can get it whatever I want and send tweet, whatever the heck you want to do. Listen, I can tell you right now, Alan Walsh paid someone to, to post that because I can tell you right now, Alan Walsh is not seem like the kind of guy that really knows anything about Adobe. I'm just saying, I feel like that Photoshop was done by someone that works in the office that knows what they're doing. Because let me tell you, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that knows how to tinker around and edit and make sure it looks all good and accurate and all that stuff. Then again, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but stupid of him to even post it. Good on Flurry to try to get him to take it down quickly. Unfortunately, now there's trust issues with management and Flurry, and I would hope there'd be trust issues between Flurry and his agent Walsh. We'll just have to see how that goes on moving forward. We still have a few minutes here before we bring on Harrison Watt, and it's just been 
Ugh. Interesting day here. Let's check on the score of that Islanders-Philadelphia game one. As I check out everything. Unfortunately, I can't watch it because I'm trying to keep tabs here on the on the chat here on the Twitter. one nothing Islanders with less than four minutes to play in the first period. Right now, the Islanders controlling the play. 13 shots on goal to the Flyers' three. Andy Green's first of the playoffs being assisted by Brock Nelson. Nelson's fifth assist of the season. Unfortunately, I really can't show it to you guys because, well, video rights, they're a heck of a thing. They cost a lot of money. And, you know, I like to think that we're, you know, we're pretty profitable here on the Kula Show, but we're not that profitable. The day we become profitable to be able to show other, you know, other networks coverage of games, I think we'd have our own network, which would be, which would, that'd be pretty cool. There's a pipe dream for you. The Kewl Show Network. See, or the Kewl, or the Kewl Sports Network, TKSN. It's not the Toronto Sports Network. It's the Kewl Show Network. Kewl Sports Network. Whatever you want to call it. Just coming up with crazy ideas here. I think the altitude's starting to get to me, guys. Fine. Let's play resumes here. I just, and I think, you know, for, and we talked about with Thomas a minute ago, there's more offensive power with the New York Islanders. And we're seeing that here in this first period, this first game. And I don't know if the Flyers, if it's jittery coming in or if the Islanders are just feeling more confident coming into this game. Obviously, winning game one is important. You don't lose a series losing one game, typically. But getting that first win is important. Obviously, a lot of hockey to be played left still at the end, towards the end of the first period. But it seems like the Islanders are looking pretty good. And that's why I always like watching, having games live in the background. I know people think, oh, it distracts you from the game, you know, consistently updated. I'm like, well, you guys at home, you guys are watching us live right now here on 12 Ounce Sports. You may be missing the game. So I felt like I had to chime in and let you know what's going on as I, you know. Oh, yes, Dad, I am babbling. Thank you very much. Of course, I'm just babbling. It's what I do best. I'm a broadcaster. I play, do play by play. I just babble on. Poor Kelly has to hear it all the time. People think I just do this just on screen or just on the mic. I babble quite frequently. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing because unfortunately I just can't stop talking. But that's okay. That's why we're here, right? Of course, if Alex were here, it'd be a little bit better. But of course, like I said off the top of the show, Alex had a meeting to go to. I'm pretty sure he would have been excited to talk with Thomas because, well, Alex and Thomas are good friends, too. We all had a great time. We all have great times together. But we're going to take a quick break, folks. When we come back, we'll have Harrison Wan on here on 12-Ounce Sports to bring on the Western Conference playoffs. We'll talk about the game ones between Vegas and the Vancouver Canucks, and as well as the series between the Dallas Stars and the Colorado Avalanche, obviously here in Denver. Obviously, I'll talk about that. We'll talk about that second later on in today's show. We'll be back with more of the Kula Show right after this. And welcome back here to the Kula Show presented by Second String Leather Company here on 12 Ounce Sports. And we are joined once again by another member of the Seven Timers Club here on the Kula Show. You get to see his beautiful face finally this time from Ferris State, the play-by-play voice of the Bulldogs, ladies and gentlemen, Harrison Watt. Harrison, how are you doing today, sir? Their jersey combinations are out of the playoffs, and I'm big sad, but it's okay. It's still entertaining. I'm, I'm okay. I, you know, well, my team was out in the first, in the qualifying round, so they didn't make it out of there, the Leafs. And then uh, Montreal, I was thinking, Carey Price, he'll be the guy to lead it past Philadelphia, and that didn't work. And I thought Columbus could upset Tampa. That didn't work. Carolina lost to Boston. I went pretty bad. Is I mean, let me quick 
let's just quick pull up the uh, the stats from our from our from Alex and I's picks. We I went five and three, but other than that, I mean, it just it seemed like I lost the series I really wanted to win. Like I don't think I had too much into the Islanders cap series, but in the series that I was emotionally invested in, if you will. I uh, I we I faltered on pretty hard. I think yeah, it was it was a rough first round. What were I mean? Looking at least at the Western Conference side of things, Calgary getting trounced by Dallas, Vegas taking care of Chicago, which I don't think any of us were surprised about. St. Louis getting knocked out by Vancouver, and Colorado just absolutely wiping the floor with the Coyotes. Even though I know that that's something we both were hoping were a little bit closer. What were your takes from the Western Conference in round one? I was. I was disappointed in the lower seeds. Um, it's the first playoff in a while that I can remember where it seems like the lower seeds, especially in the real first round, not the playing round, but the real first round really didn't push the big boys for the most part. Um, I was really disappointed in Arizona and the way they fizzled. Really disappointed in uh, the goaltending situation in Calgary and how they kind of just flopped down. I, I think Dallas is an all right team, but I don't really think that should have happened to Calgary. That was it was rough. I I just especially in the West, I felt like some of those lower seeds really just kind of rolled over. Um, I think in the East, I knew Columbus was going to be Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay was going to be Columbus, but part of me just hoped that Torts could pull some of his torch stuff and make it go seven games and make it make us all sweat but well, what do you what do you think about i get i i guess the one question because i talked about it on the thursday show of the cool show the quick shift edition where i talked about how i was okay with torch walking off the stand after that game five loss i mean what is your take i mean some coaches i mean you work with bob daniels at fair state he is i would say someone that does not forget to know what to say he's very long-winded at times and Torts is the complete opposite of that. What is your take, I guess, on Torts kind of just walking off the set there? I respect Torts as a coach. Like, I think he's one of the three best coaches in the league. I don't think I don't think people give him enough credit. But putting it kindly, he's a jerk a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I love the guy. I would want to play for him. If I was a GM, I'd want him to be my coach. But just answer a question like a man. I, I know you're disappointed and you're sad, but like get up there and just answer a few questions and, and be, you know, you can, you can call guys out if they underperformed and stuff like that. But like, if you're torts, you're realistic, you know, you're not going to go into the Tampa series and likely win a best of seven, like with the talent you have, like you, you got to know, and you got to get up there and be like, we gave it our best shot. Didn't have enough. I mean, just, I don't know the walkouts. He does it so often it loses its effect. Well, what year was it that he did it? It was with, Col- was it, I don't know if it was with Columbus or what, but he literally, the league fined him and told him, Hey, you have to be up there for a certain amount of time. It's all, I know it's a couple of years ago, but it's been his thing. However, when he talks though, it makes everyone mad because he always says something that just ticks everyone off. But that's, I mean, that is torch though. He's a great coach. You'd want to go through the wall for him, but when it comes to the media, I mean, you and I both know people, there's coaches out there that don't want to talk to media, people that don't want to, that aren't, they'll, they'll do anything they can to make sure their team's good. But as soon as a microphone's put in front of them, they just want to brush you off to the side. And that's kind of the way Torts is. There, there are coaches that are like that and I've run into them and I, I do my very best with those. Um, I'm a little different because I'm not gonna, I'm not a journalist anymore, but when it was, 
I would do my best to make them feel respected. I'm not going to, you know, in pro sports, it's a little bit different. You can call out pro athletes for underperforming and coaches feel slighted by that. Some people call for coaches jobs and coaches will feel slighted by that. It's a little more, um, it's a little tougher of a situation as a pro, but I think as a, you know, as an adult man, if, if I deserve to be criticized in the media, if I'm a, an NHL coach, I, I could take that. I feel like some of these guys are being a little soft. Um, towards, I don't think that was the case. I just don't think he was really interested in being up there, and I get it. But like, like you said, Bob, very long-winded. But with him, there are times where I have to get, you know, push him along to get on the podium. But he'll go up there and he'll answer your questions and he'll be respectful and then he'll walk out and he may BS you for 10 minutes, but he's going to give you your 10 minutes worth of quotes to let you go home and do your job. I, I still remember the first game you and I did. It was against Bemidji State, who I think finished, what, second in the WCHA this past season, at least in the, in the regular season. Big game for yeah. the Bugs, and it was my first game. I'm nervous, and it's like, all right, we're going to do the interview. I say, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, and we'll go to the interview with Bob Daniels. And I'm thinking, because I've done interviews with coaches with Davenport and whatever, it's usually two and a half minutes, quick verb, and I, you know something you always hear if you ever listen to a game, just a quick you know, 200 second little clip from a, just to get a quote. And I'm like, all right, cool. So we'll go back, you know, we'll come back to like, no, we'll go to break. He's like, all right, how long is Bob's going to be? Like, it's going to be a minute. And I'm like, really? And I listened and I'm like, he is going. (laughs) But that's just the way Bob is though. He, he just respects. I got to say this about torts, but like Bob respects people for who they are. He respects that you have a job to get done. And He's going to give you. He's going to give you his time and let you do your job. And the thing I'm I'm a little bit ticked about towards that is that he doesn't. And um, again, I respect that absolute hell out of him as a coach. He's brilliant. Honestly, if that guy was running for president, I'd vote for him because that guy's got a plan for everything. Like, I mean, with the t- think about the talent. I know where I'm supposed to talk about the West, but just think about the talent Columbus really doesn't have. And how far they pushed, I mean, how far they pushed Tampa this year to an extent. I mean, the five overtime game. Um, and then the round before beating Toronto, I know you don't want to relive that, but like Toronto had no business losing to a team with that, that was like that devoid of real talent. Right. I mean, Torts just coached circles around them. And that stinks for Toronto, who's a great team, and I respect them. But like Columbus, honestly, talent wise, has no business being in these series and the, you know, Torch does a great job with them. That's why I respect them. But I wish he was just a little better with the media. Yeah. I mean, even, I mean, even with Bob Daniels after the GLI, after losing in the third place game, he was still up there for a good 10 minutes talking about the team and stuff. And that's just the way Bob is. So like you said, we have you on here to talk about the Western conference. Let's talk and start with the game last night, game one between the Vegas gold Knights, the number one seed in the West against Vancouver, a team that, I don't want to say shock people by beating St. Louis. I just think the way that last game ended Vegas though, gets the win last night, first playoff shutout for Robin Leonard, 28 saves and I or 26 saves. Excuse me. I will say this the first period I did a full scale broadcast jinx here, Harrison. I go out there and tweet, man, Vancouver, they're looking intact with this team. It's close, a little bit on shots. Both teams are getting chances. Vancouver's looking good. And the second period happened and just, Vegas wiped the floor with the Canucks with a 5 nothing win last night. I think that game was almost, I hate to do this to Vegas, but Vancouver just 
didn't show up for the second period. They came out for the first. They're like, all right, we got a punching chance. And then they kind of forgot to go back out there. Like the, the thought that came to my mind watching the film again this morning was cement shoes. There were so many, there were so many goals where there are three or four guys standing still, or, um, you know, there's a rebound there and nobody flinches and, and, your marks are, I don't know what you want to do there, but um, I, I thought Vegas took advantage of the fact that Vancouver kind of stopped moving their feet. Um, and what made them able to beat a team like St. Louis is that they do move their feet. They got some talent, they got some skill. And I thought that um, the guys that needed to show up for Vancouver to have a fighting chance last night just didn't really show up. So uh, honestly, there's not too much I can say about it. I mean, Vegas is a good team. I, I struggle with them a little bit. I don't think they're what they were the first year, but uh, you know, if you're going to show, if you're going to not show up for 40 minutes of play, a team like Vegas can take advantage of that. I, you do mention the cement shoes, and I. It's funny. I always thought Alex Tuck was a fast player, but that goal he had, where he just beat everyone in the puck. I mean, he he was hauling, and then there was the one that I talked about. We talked about the cement shoes. Was the Riley Smith power or the Riley Smith power play goal? And it's a shot from the point. Marks makes a save. Yeah, he gets off a little out of position to make the first save. But Chris Tannen's right there. And, or I think it was Chris Tannen actually blocked the shot. But he just forgets that right next to him is Riley Smith. And Riley Smith bangs in the open net. And, I mean, you you need to cover because it's not Vegas. It's not just the fact that they have you know guys that can score off the rush, guys with speed. But it's the fact that they can get those second and third chances because they have guys like Shea Theodore in the back end who had two assists last night. And Nate Schmidt who can create offense. They have guys that can create from the blue line in. And then they have the guys down low, the guys that can muck in the corners and get the pucks in front and bang in rebounds. And I think that's something Vegas's defense, I don't think they really had that trouble, that kind of amount of trouble against St. Louis is now they're experiencing here with the Knights. Well, yeah, St. Louis isn't exactly the most fleet of foot team. And I think Vegas brings a little bit more speed. But um, it, uh, we talked about Torts. If Torts was on the bench for Vancouver last night with the way they were giving up second and third chance opportunities that ended up in goals, people would have lost their heads. There would be heads rolling around on the ice. Like he would have decapitated people. Oh, it was, yeah. There were a couple, there were a couple of those goals I watched and I just counted the guys that were standing still. I don't remember on the tuck goal if Quinn Hughes was at the end of a shift, but one of the guys at beat was Quinn Hughes, who I, I've watched Quinn Hughes in person when he was in college. And he's not slow. Uh, that's for sure. No, I'll give you, there's a good story. I won't name the guy because I don't want to embarrass him. But uh, during the team meeting that morning, someone says, we got to hit him. We got to lay a body on him. It was the night after we lost to Michigan. We ended up beating Michigan that night, um, the day we had the team meeting. But it's like, we got to hit him. We got to put a body on him. And in the back of my head, all I can think is, yeah, if you could catch him, <laughs> he would he would make a turn and he'd have an ocean of space. Like nobody could mark the guy. He was nuts. And he's still kind of that way at the NHL level. I was a little surprised that. Tuck was able to shoot right by him. Now, I'd probably have to go back and watch it again to see if he was at the end of the shift, but like Tuck like left him in the dust. It, it's it is impressive because like I mean Vancouver, I just think think about it this way. Vancouver won those first two games, and I think that for against St. Louis, I'm talking here, they win that first game. I think that helped to give them a little more confidence. But I think realizing because Vegas is a faster team, and I presume I will say this, especially this season, more than most, is a better team than the St. Louis Blues. They're going to learn. I think Travis Green, listen, this is his first year as a playoff head coach in the NHL. I think he sees 
he's able, he's going to be able to calm the kids down. And be like, all right, guys, we see what we just kind of saw. What we notice here, Vegas is quicker. They're a little bit better. We're going to have to step up our game because speed for speed, it's going to be close, you know, fleet of foot, you know, who's faster. That's all up in the air. I think Vegas or Vancouver at least can hang with Vegas speed wise. It's just, I think in this series particular, the experience will carry over. And that's why I think a guy like Mark Stone, who had a goal and an assist last night, will be so important. Mark Stone, probably, I mean, he's the reason why he got that big extension. His playoff his playoff performance, especially with Vegas, has really shown why he's probably one of the best players on this Vegas Golden Knights team. Yeah, you're right. I think the experience is going to be a big factor. It'll be good experience for some of these young guys. The issue I see for Vancouver is they're going to lose some bodies and they're going to have to start paying people soon. Um so this, I mean, this is an opportunity for them to, to really make some noise. Um, so I'd hate for them to go down before, you know, before too long because there's the potential for a rough year somewhere in here. But, you know, rebuilds like they went through are not always linear. You don't always get better from year to year. Sometimes you take a little dip before uh, making the big climb. And I, I think uh, Vancouver could be headed for that uh, just with their situation uh, in money. Um who they got to start to dole some money out to. So I'd like to see him make a little more noise. Um, but the experience is tough to match. Um, you know, Max Pacioretty, I thought, was pretty good last night, too. Um, and you remember there are guys on that team like Max that are fighting for their opportunity to win the Stanley Cup. There are all those cast-off guys from the expansion draft that are still there that are still fighting to prove that, you know, I shouldn't have been left unprotected. So... There's a lot of hunger in that team, I think. I'm trying to think of all the guys that are on that club that have not. Flurry obviously has won a cup. I'm trying to think of the other guys off the top of my head. That I don't think Schmidt. Where was Schmidt before? Schmidt was in uh, Washington. Washington, but he, but he got so he picked missed. up in the. Yep, he missed by a year. Uh, uh, you talk about Nate Schmidt. Marchessault was in Florida. Um, Wild Bill. Um, he was in. He was Columbus, was he not? He was the. He was in Columbus. He was a fourth liner down there. I mean, it's it's a lot of guys on that team. You know, Pacioretty's an older guy that played for Montreal forever. And, yeah. You know, I, I would just think there are a lot of guys that are hungry to win their first cup on that team. Flurry, it's tough what's happening to him with his agent, um, you know, putting a sword through him, not metaphorically. But, um, you know, he's a guy that has a little experience doing some of that stuff, so I'm sure he can still help. Yeah, he, I mean, you see him with Leonard on the bench. I mean, he's always talking to him, giving him high fives, letting him know. I mean, he's – I said it before we brought you on. Flurry is not a bad teammate. It's This is not the problem with Flurry and the Knights. It's Flurry versus the Knights front office. That's the problem. The fact that this yeah. game now is just awful timing. But obviously the Knights were able to put it past him, get the win last night. For the Canucks moving forward, to, I don't say get back in this series. It's only one game, and not every series is determined with one game. But obviously now the Knights have the advantage – who is really going to need to step up? Obviously, you have guys like Pedersen. JT Miller's having a career year, but who else is going to have to really, you know, really put their nose to the grind to get Vancouver to help Vancouver get back and really give themselves a fighting chance in this series against Vegas? I, I think your best player's got to be your best player, and I think your best player is Elias Pedersen. Um, I, I saw some of the things he did against St. Louis and. The comparisons that were made to Datsuk last year were not far off. Um, people do forget that Datsuk in the playoffs struggled to score goals for most of his career. Um, 
couple of the big years, he really didn't do very much, actually, in the postseason, points-wise. He did, he did all the dirty work, but I like to see Pedersen be the guy that does some of the dirty work that uh, doesn't get noticed, the takeaways and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I think he's going to have to shine a little bit because that team is not exactly star-studded. Um, and, you know, there are plenty of guys in the Vegas team that can take over on any given night. Um, you know, we talk about we talk about how some of them were cast-offs, but some of them turned into pretty darn good players. And um, I just didn't think Pedersen's going to have to be the difference. And they absolutely have to win game two. Um, I would just, as a whole, I know this is a bit of a cop-out, like to see the Vancouver defensive unit uh, move their feet a little bit. It was kind of hard to watch for about 40 minutes there. I, was, I rolled my eyes at one point and I felt bad doing it. But like, they, I, like I said, there were just so many instances where they were standing still and it was hard, hard to watch. And some of the best players in the game, they'll, they'll look at the film like, all right, we got to do this better and so on and so forth. But you really, I mean, you talk about all the cast offs, literally a guy that was meant to go to Vegas was Riley Smith. Cause him and March, like they had, like, I think they honestly traded him. So they would take March. So they wouldn't take any of their big names like Barkov. And at the time, Vincent Trocek, he's lighting it up in these playoffs so far. I believe he has 10 points, which ties him with Mark Stone. I mean, this is a guy that I wouldn't say was the number one guy in Vegas during the regular season, but he's been a guy that has shown that he can be one of the top players in this league. And, and I don't know if it's an Eastern bias or whatnot, but it never seems like any one player on this Vegas Golden Knights team is the superstar. It seems like this is a front to back, first line to fourth line, first pair to third pair. Everyone is contributing and everyone is a star player with this Vegas Golden Knights team. At least that's what it seemed like over this past season. Yeah, it is a little Eastern bias, but I don't think anybody really is a superstar. Uh, but think about your whole life. Think about the guys playing let's say west of denver well that's a denver and west of there think about those guys in your life that the media has come out and just been like that guy's a superstar it's not not a lot i mean peter forsberg and joe sackett come to mind immediately but like then again they won cups though that's for sure korea to some extent I, i think a lot of people liked korea but you know um I don't think he got his due. I don't think Patrick Marlowe got his due. Joe Pavelski, um, Madonna a little bit, but like even he got overlooked at times. So, I mean, you think West and there aren't a lot of guys that the media as a whole nationally in hockey really consider superstars. That That is that is the unfortunate truth because of the fact that not all of us want to stay up at 10.30 at night to watch a hockey game. That's why in Denver it's nice because we get to watch Denver. We went to watch Colorado and Dallas play here at 7.45, which is a very fair time here in the Mountain Time Zone. Before we move on to that series, let's just quickly throw the picks out here. Alex picked the Knights in five, which, like if Harrison says, if, Vegas, if Vancouver doesn't win game two, that could be. I picked the Knights in seven because I thought Vancouver would have been a little bit heavier, but after game one it may be a little bit hazy, and We'll get to the series that I thought was going to be a landslide, and I'm going to be wrong here after I picked. But um, Harrison, what do you think? How long do you think this series is going to go, and is it going to be Vegas? Is it Vancouver moving out of the conference final? Knights and five. Knights and five. I, I, yeah, after that game one, I, I bet they'll put up a better fight, but Vegas looks like they're in a really good spot. I didn't really like – it's hard to fault Markstrom, but I also didn't really like his game. Thatcher Demko is a little bit uh, – 
good goalie, but he's untested at, at this kind of, uh, you know, in the playoffs at least. So I, I, I thought as a whole, Vancouver just didn't look like they were ready for the moment and they might uh, in game two and they might at times throughout the rest of the series, but I think Vegas is experienced and ready to go. So night to five. Yeah, I, I would say the the difference will be def, certainly the experience, just because a lot of this team at Vegas made yes they only made it to the finals only a couple of years ago, got knocked out in the first round thanks to an awful call last year, albeit. But the experience obviously is a night and day difference in Vancouver and the Vegas Golden Knights. The other series in the Western Conference, as I kind of pertained to before, the Colorado Avalanche and the Dallas Stars. Now I'm going to say my pick right away, and Alex is Alex picked the Avs in six. I picked the Avs in five because I thought the way Colorado just wiped the floor with the Coyotes, they smacked them around. They've been looking good all postseason. Only one blip was the loss to Vegas in the round robin. They've been looking good. And then last night happened, or excuse me, not last night, Saturday night happened. And I will tell you, Harrison, I'm regretting my pick almost immediately. What is your take on that game one win by the Dallas Stars? I'm going to say Avs in six still. I would have said Avs in five. Um, until they lost and until Grubauer got hurt and until Eric Johnson got hurt. So uh, the issues compiled really quickly. Um, it, it snowballed out of control a little bit for Colorado. Um, it was kind of to, I hate to say this, but it was an avalanche of bad fortune in game one. You said the snowball it, thing. I'm like, you got to go with the avalanche. You just got to go for it. Yeah. <laughs> they, they had two key injuries. Grubauer is a great goalie. Frank Coos is graded out well, but he's got no experience. Um, I wonder, I just wonder about him. He's not a super large goalie, so he can't cheat a little bit. I, I thought he played a little bit deep in his net at times last night. Um, Dallas is, Dallas is an all right team. My issue with them lies in uh, their star players and their tendency to disappear at times in their career. Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan at times. Um, I just think the depth of Colorado is so good um, that it's, it's going to be hard over a seven-game series to really beat them too many times. And while they did lose some good pieces, I, I just like I, I like their depth a lot. They got great star power in McCarr. And obviously, I think McKinnon's the best player on the planet right now. He's playing out of his gourd. Um I think over the course of the series, it'll be them. But uh, losing game one was bad. It was really bad for them. Uh, and losing the guys they lost was much worse. I don't know how long either of them are going to be up, but I can tell you, Grubauer, that didn't look good. Um, I, I said it uh, right off right as I saw the play happen because I, I turned away for a second. I think I was looking at something here in the, in the Airbnb, and I – I look and all of a sudden I see Grubauer down and not moving. Like, did he just get brained or something? But then I watched it back and I see the play. And as a goaltender, I, I'd like to think I was kind of flexible, but I was nowhere near flexible like a Marc-Andre Fleury or a Jonathan Quick or whatever. But as soon as I saw it, he's done. That is a torn torn something down there where it's not supposed to – it's not comfortable down there. Grubauer, is, was there an update on that injury? I have not seen anything on it. It's probably okay. the NHL is going to probably hold on to it. It's going to be an unfit to play scenario. It's a groin. It's okay. that that's a groin. I just I see it. And as soon as I saw the playback, and I'm like, well, it's Francois the rest of the way for the the Colorado Avalanche and a quick run down to the box score of the game. Tyler Sagan, Blake Tyler Sagan's first of the playoffs. Radulov scores twice. Blake Como and Rupe hits with a goal insurance marker for Dallas. Two goals from Nathan McKinnon and one from Landis Cog for the Avs. McKinnon now leading 
the entire postseason with 16 points, 6 goals, 10 assists, tied with his teammate Nazem Kadri, who has 6 goals in himself. And, you know, you still pick the Avs in 6. McKinnon's one of the best players, but we I kind of t- uh, talked about it briefly with Thomas towards the end of his bit here on the Kiel Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. I mentioned to him how good Kadri has been, and I always hate to say it. I'm like, well, it's a what-if scenario with the Leafs, but Kadri is showing in these playoffs so far, maybe not last night, but in the first round and the qualifying and the round robin, why he is such a key factor for this Colorado Avalanche team. I almost just went, I was really briefly thinking about going on a tangent about how the fans in Toronto and the media in Toronto were unfair to him for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to, I don't really want to go there. Um, well, I will say this. It was because he, if he had not gotten suspended in either of those two playoffs against Boston, the Leafs would have at least won a series in the last decade. That's that. I think that's the reason why we're mad at Nassim Kadri. But now that would have that would have helped. But the, the amount of just horrific tweets I saw about the guy and then things that have nothing to do with him as a hockey player, I think he needed out of Toronto, and I think that that's helped him immensely. I mean, Colorado's not a Denver's not really a big media market for sports. It, it's it's well, it doesn't compare to Toronto for hockey. Let me say this. I mentioned with Thomas before just a few minutes ago. I said I would, the wife and I were walking down the 16th Street Mall in downtown Denver today. And I, we went into a sports shop thinking, hey, let's find a Nazem Kadri shirt. Because Kadri's been one of my favorite players for the longest time. I compare him to literally Dougie Gilmore, 43, not 93. And I said to myself, like, man, it'd be cool to get a Kadri shirt. So I walk in, the guy introduced like, hey, guys, how are you doing? Anything I can help you find? I'm like, Nazem Kadri Colorado Avalanche shirt. And he's like, who? And I'm like, leading scorer in the well you're leading goal scorer in the playoffs and he's like uh we got ab stuff over here but i don't know who that is and i'm like he's one of your best players i'm like how do you not know that then again that's just me being the hockey guy yeah i again i just think he was treated so unfairly by people in general the the suspensions were bad i get it but like just the and we're in this as a society i'm not i'm gonna try not to go there right now um but like just the immense, horrible things that people say about people that have nothing to do with their qualifications for their jobs. You can be mad at him for the suspensions all you want, but he needed out of Toronto. That medium market for hockey is its terrible. I wouldn't ever want to play there besides the taxes that you get on your paychecks for playing for, playing for that organization. I probably wouldn't have wanted to play for Mike Babcock either. Um, before Why? Why would over. nobody want to play for Mike Babcock? He seems like a nice fellow. You know, there's a line between him and Torts where I think, um, am I allowed to swear on the podcast? Unfortunately not. Unfortunately, okay. PG, I won't. the kids listening here. I won't. Uh, Babcock, I think, is a decent coach, but in terms of the way he thinks about himself, he's full of it. Um, uh, what were you going to say? <laughs> yeah. Uh, where I think Torts knows his stuff, even though he's you know, not very kind in general. So, right. But yeah, I, again, I think Kadri just needed out and I think it's been amazing for him as not only, I'm sure he agrees as a person outside of his, uh, outside of his playing career, but also as a player. So I, I think it's been great for him. And again, that's another depth piece that it seemed like Dallas doesn't really have. Um, you know, you talk that there, there's a big difference between their top end players and what's after that. Right. And, and I mean, you did get finally get Sagan finally scoring despite missing quite a bit of time. 
Bishop still out unfit to play. Anton Udobin getting 28 saves in the win on Saturday night. He's been looking good. His numbers, the goals against average save percentage may not be mined, may not be out of this world, but he's been solid. But, you know, you talk about Nathan McKinnon being one of the top scorers in these playoffs. One of the guys that's tied for second with 13 points is someone that people are saying, oh, he's better than McCarr. Well, yes, McCarr is technically a rookie. This guy has played a full season. That's Mira Heiskanen. And he is just a... I. I want to. I don't know if I want to make those comparisons yet to some great players, defensemen that can play offense and defense. But he's looking like a guy that has shown time and again this season and now in these playoffs that he's a guy that people should be talking about a lot more often. Well, today um, I want to take a guess. <laughs> what was going through your mind? I have to imagine it was a defenseman of a Swedish persuasion, maybe. Oh, well, there's no. that. There's that too. There's 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 a there's a Robert. Or number number four guy. Oh, okay, that's a little different. I didn't know if you were going there. I'm just well, Nicholas. Nicholas. What is well, Nicholas Lidstrom? Yes. Here's the difference, though. I never saw Nicky Lidstrom as a guy that could rush the puck like that, though. Okay, I just wanted to know where your comparison was going. No, he can't rush the puck. Nick Nick was not that fleet of foot. He just knew where to be. He shot um, well. He had a shot, though. That's for sure. He did, but he knew where to be. I, I didn't know who you were comparing him to. It took me a second, but no, it's a good. Bobby Orr is probably a better comparison. Uh, yeah, he's a – he's interesting. I remember watching him in a game as a rookie, and I, I watched probably four of his shifts in a row. And I got up and left, and the next like week I started to think more and more about it. I was like, that might be the best defenseman I've seen in the league at that age. Most complete guy, I don't know, in my life. He, he's, he was complete at that age, and he still is. And, um, you know, there's a difference between being complete and dynamic, and I think he's taken the step um, from being dynamic to being complete. And he's young. That's a big piece for Dallas. Give me expensive one day. I mean, he's going to be expensive, but, boy, can that guy play. Well, that's why the flat cap's going to make everything interesting. The the next – I say this. As fun as free agent frenzy is and the offseason's always interesting for hockey – the next three to four summer off seasons, we'll say, we can't say summer because it'll be October when we have this off season. It's going to be interesting because I mean, a lot of teams have to make a lot of tough decisions, and I don't think there's there's no way Jim Nill makes a dumb decision does not go for Mira Heiskanen and say we're going to hold you for an extremely long time because at least in the first couple seasons, knock on wood, he's been probably the best defenseman. Maybe the exception you can argue for John Klingberg. I would still go with Miro. Maybe John Klingberg. John Klingberg's good too. You're right. Um, I just think he brings something different to the table. He's unique. You mentioned Bob Yor, but can you think of anybody in recent times that he really compares to? I can't. Eric Carlson before he broke his ankle, maybe. Maybe, but still, I, I just think he's a little, he's so unique and people don't watch him enough. And I think he'll keep Dallas competitive. I think some of their big guys will too. But again, I think, like you said, not in Kadri guy that's I mean he's almost a depth guy with Colorado almost like uh, he's not a top liner right he's not in that top unit with Ranton and then Landis Gog and McKinnon typically um I just think that depth is much better for Colorado and that's why I think they're going to win this in six I I would have said five had they not blown the first game but they uh they, they took a little too long to show up you know it's it's so funny because I, I tweeted it out during the game while Dallas was taking control and whatnot, Colorado did make a good run towards the end of that game. 
But I remember I said, I'm like, if you went up to someone at before the pause and said, all right, Colorado and Dallas in the playoffs. Like, yeah, that sounds about right. Pavel Fransos versus Anton Hudobin. Now, wait a second. I mean, you yeah. believe it if, if we were talking in March. But now here you are, Anton Hudobin, who led the league in save percentage. Pavel Fransos, who's despite not playing as many games, was not that far behind. I mean, France, this could be a really good goaltending matchup. I just think, and, and let's be honest here, Hudobin has never played this much in the playoffs. So you have two, I mean, obviously Hudobin's already had a round under his belt, but now you got a guy like Francois. Who knows what's going to happen the rest of the series? And you, like you said, you're going abs in six. I still abide by abs. I mean, maybe not abs in five, but it'll be interesting. But, I mean, I'm looking at, I mean, I look at the, you look at the depth of Colorado versus Dallas's depth or lack thereof, at least offensively. But I look at the goaltending now and I'm like, man, if, if Franco's buckles, this series could go the opposite direction. But if Franco's plays like he did during the regular season and in the few games he's played here in this postseason, 18 saves out of 20 shots on Saturday night, I mean, he could be a guy that could, you know, pull a Yaroslav Halak and lead this team down the stretch. I think the key to the series is going to be which team is better at possessing the puck. If Colorado can possess the puck long enough to let Francois settle into the series and possess it long enough so that he's not really facing a lot of heat constantly, you can kind of cover up for him. I'm not saying he's a bad goalie, but inexperienced goalies typically have not done great postseason. You see the one here or there that has that great postseason. Jordan Uh, Bennington. (laughs) Jordan Bennington. Jaguar, which I always bring up, um, had like never been in the playoffs. Um, but th- those are rare. Those are exceptions to the rule. Um, no, those guys are folk heroes because of it. Right. So I think, I, I think whichever team is able to possess the puck better and keep the heat off their goaltender is in better shape. It's probably more important for Colorado to do so because I think Hudobin could probably handle a decent amount of heat because he is a veteran. Um, but if Colorado can really do a good job at hanging out of the puck, not turning it over in an opportune spot, they'll, I think they'll walk away with this series pretty easily. So that'll be definitely interesting. So our picks right now are Vegas and Colorado of the West. Who do you think, quickly before we wrap up today's Kewl show here on 12 Ounce Sports, who do you think comes out of the East and makes it to the Final Four? Oh. <laughs> Put him on the spot. That's what I do best. Yeah. I don't know what that was. Let's go series by series. Boston, Tampa Bay. That one's so hard, man. I mean, I, I, w- I want to say Tampa is going to find a way back and win this series. Boston's playing well. You wonder how long Halak lasts. Um, I'm not necessarily wild about Boston's defensive situation. They, they got some good players. Um but I think Tampa can find ways to hem a couple of those units into their own end for long periods of time. And if they can do enough of that, uh, they should be able to get the job done. If Boston can, can continue to get in Tampa, Tampa Bay's face and be an annoyance, Boston will win. I want to say Tampa wins this in seven. Um, that's almost a coin toss. Uh, Philly and I'm blanking. Yep. Billy and the Islanders, and they... I, uh, God, I want Barry Trotz to win another cup so bad. I love Barry Trotz. How can you not love Barry Trotz? Like, think about when you were How a kid, can you not love Carter Hart, though? Carter Hart for prime minister. You're a goalie guy. I mean, I get that. Carter Hart's got the rest of his career here. 
think about all the years Barry Trotz mired away in the Central Division, playing against the Wings, however many times a year it was, as the coach of the Predators. And, you know, there were years where he just, I mean, he did his darndest to beat the Wings. I have so much respect for how, how much that guy just sticks with it. I think that Islanders team really has something special chemistry-wise. Um, I think, you know, the Islanders showed some hints, of, or not the Islanders, the Flyers showed some hints of, uh, I don't know if it was inexperienced so much as it was just like some, some chinks in the armor, but I want to say the Islanders are going to find a way to win this series in seven games. I think both series go seven games because I think the Islanders with Barry Trotz doing Barry Trotz stuff are going to find a way to hang around. And Philly was, don't get me wrong, Philly was extraordinarily impressive in getting the number one seed um, and continuing their way to where they are. There's something about picking Philadelphia that just makes me squirm a little bit. Not because I don't like them, but I just think I think back to all the years where it's like, oh, Philly's going to win for sure. Think back to Roman Chekmanek and oh, Jeremy Roenick and Tony, Tony Monty. Think back to those teams where you're like, oh, no chance Philly gets knocked out. And they they, they just do some weird stuff. I don't know what it is. They're cursed a little bit. They got that uh, curse of the Bambino thing going on. Oh, yeah, because ever since Bernie Perrant left. Uh, Curling the scores one nothing in game one. Shots are a little bit fair. It was fourteen to three at one point for the Islanders. Now it's eighteen thirteen halfway through the second period. So Islanders. Island. Up. You see Islanders ahead. Islanders ahead one nothing. Yep. And I just and that was an early goal by Andy Green of all people. First goal of the postseason for him. But we'll see how those series go. We'll see how Dallas and Colorado they start seven forty five Mountain Time here tonight. And then 9.45 back out east. Coming up next here on 12 Ounce Sports, it is Talking Miners with the Rando. He'll be talking about Earl Thomas, unwritten rules in sports, probably something to do with the San Diego Padres, COVID drama in New Jersey and how that will affect the NFL and more. Talking once again with Harrison Watt of Ferris State, the play-by-play voice for the Bulldogs, seven-time member, both seven-timers getting on. i got to make sure we keep that number even for something down the line, but I can't say anything yet. Harrison, thank you very much for taking the time today. Thank you. All right, we'll catch up with Harrison later on, and we'll say goodbye. Make sure you follow us here on The Kewl Show at The Kewl Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, hashtag TKS, and all the good stuff. I'll be back in town in Grand Rapids on Thursday for our Quick Shift Edition. We'll see you all then. Thank you very much for watching this episode of The Kewl Show. We'll see you all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.